Yeah, that's what Bart's sense. always looking at with you. Like we, he looks at, for example, an example is his feet. Why is certain reactions happening? Then looking at then the fitness of the feet, and then mm. going by, and then asking Dan, well, what do you think you're doing? Because it's your body, and yeah. trying to understand. See, I've got then. flat feet, so he's trying to work out oh, my yeah. flat feet, and and my feet doesn't want to. I don't. I can't heel toe properly. properly. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So my 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 let my foot literally just stops. I can just keep in mind I don't do that either. Mm. I do both sides of my foot. Yeah. I actually don't put my heel over. I'd heel and toe for me just as a misnomer. So when you were racing, did you heel and toe or did you just drive like... I did both sides of my foot. Okay. I'm, I'm fussy about height than pedal height. Yeah. Because I want to be able to break, then just... just oh, I get it. I don't then... blip it, right? Yeah. I just lean on because if you blip it, you end up with the spikes in the brake pressure. Yeah. Makes more action, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but what I'm you, doing. If you get the pedals in the right place... You don't need to go broom, broom. You just yeah. need to go, Yeah, right. Like you only need to bring the engine up speed up to wherever you're going with the gear. You don't need a broom. Yeah. Need a yeah. Oh, so it's with more karma. Yes. You can slide your foot across then, can't you? Yeah. You know what I mean? You just slide your foot off the off the brake onto the throttle or vice versa. Mm. We would like to thank our major sponsor, Thrifty Car Rental. If you're looking for a great deal on your next car rental for an upcoming trip, check out their website for the latest offers. You can find all the links in our show notes. Go, go, go! Are you doing it? He's in! That's a massive crash! And it's happened immediately! This is amazing! Big shot, big shot! And it's lights out and away we go! G'day, I'm Dan Hooley Hollihan and welcome to my motorsports podcast up on the Couch with Hooley Season 2, which is more than just a motorsports podcast. My guests are from all sides of the track, errors and personalities. You will meet some who have spent their careers chasing the dream to those who have only just touched on it and went on to aspiring journeys. We learn their stories beyond the helmet. On today's episode, we've got the legendary racing engineer, Wally Story, also known as the grandpa of the paddock. Wally is loved by everyone down pit lane and boy oh boy, in this episode, does he have some stories to tell. Wally started his racing career in Formula Fords and decided it got too expensive to race himself winning numerous races. So, what do you do when you've run out of cash? Well, you help your mate, and Wally helped out his best friend, Bruce Connolly, who went on to win the National Formula Ford Championship back in the 80s. In this podcast, you will learn everything you need to know about the Australian motorsports scene, and Wally talks everything about the engineering side of supercars, touring cars, and managing superstar drivers like Jamie Winkup, the late Jason Richards, and many more. I'm not left speechless in many episodes on this podcast, but the way Wally told these stories will leave you wanting more. Anyway, that's enough from me, so let's hear it from the man himself, Wally Story. Disappear after a certain amount of time. Uh, well, I'm only doing it now for friends. I, I don't, yeah. It's not a money thing. Yeah. Um, I certainly don't want to do it, mm. but in the case of the Bathurst thing, they won't give you a wild card unless you've got experienced people. Mm. That's the bottom line. And yeah. if you think about how the show is, that makes sense. Mm. Probably the only smart thing I've seen out of supercars in a long time. The wild card thing? Well, the fact that they make you take experienced people. Yeah, right. Because if, if you get a pile of blokes out of dev, they've never done pit stops, mm. like never done brake changes, never yeah. done a strategy, like it has a, never done refueling. Yeah. Like, so that it has the potential to be cars with wheels falling off and fires and all sorts of, you know, yeah. they get all hyped because they – yeah. Because all of a sudden they're in the big time, they get overhyped. Like I had to have a serious chat to the driver after qualifying because he, yeah, he basically should have done a lot better than he did. Yeah, working on the previous session. 
Yeah. But he lost it. Like he was the, the moment got to him and that's understandable. I mean. Well, they got, well, like Justin and the guys that you were hanging with because you're the team manager instead of the engineer because I came in there because that's what I'm normally used to seeing you do. Yeah. Were you like trying to calm them down because they're just all young and hyped I, in a way? What I was trying to do was head off that crap that happened in the first lap. Like yeah, I sent them an email before the first test day even saying, you know, these are the things that 30 years has taught me. Yeah. And and I've talked to them a lot since. So I was saying, you know, like keep in mind you will see a lot of stupidity out of people that are supposed to be some of the best in the business. Yeah. Do not get involved. The race is Sunday and only from about lap 100, right? So up to that point it's a matter of survival, nothing else, right? Yeah. So you need to get that far before you even race. Yeah. And, and there'll be a lot of hype and there'll be a lot of hoopla and we're not going to be in the top ten. We're not going to be yeah. whole. We're not going to be any of that rubbish. So yeah. work on survival, work on learning the car, work on dealing with other people, yeah. other guys you're racing and just learn to read them and, and stick with that, you know. like. But there will be madness, a lot of it, particularly with the weather. Yeah. A lot of, there will be a lot of safety cars because people get bogged. Yeah. Once they go off, they'll stay there. Yeah. They'll have slick tyres on wet grass yeah. and mud. They won't get out. Yeah. So there'll be plenty of safety cars. There's no hurry. Yeah. <laughs> there was more There was more in the first 10 laps than there was the rest of the race. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like they were just going chaotic. I mean, like it's a long, long, long way to go. Like, yeah. And that's from people that have been there before. That's the amazing part. Mm. Like, like, what are you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> It was just, I don't know, like as you said, it just, even in, even when we race Formula 4, like you know how Bruce and I race, yeah. we, because we're experienced and we race each other, you know what I mean? Formula 4, uh, for me anyway, just teaches you that it's chaotic anyway. Do you know yes. what I mean? It just teaches you to it's, settle it's, down. A Formula Ford, particularly like not so much now because it's not, it's fair income. Yeah. It, back in the day when it was the stepping stone to go anywhere, there were like 54 entries, for mm. example, right? It was mad and you had to get on with it. Mm. And when I went to start driving for things at Bathurst, I had a massive adaption of, no, there is no hurry. If this bloke wants to be crazy, let him be crazy. You might not even have to race him because let him go and crash into somebody else, you know. Yeah. But in Formula Ford, it's wish bang, wish bang, isn't yeah. it? So you, yeah. you don't have that long, if you know what I mean. You don't have all day. So Formula Ford teaches you to drive mm. and it teaches you to Good reflexes to teach you a million things. Yeah. Teach you to sort the car. Um and to teach you a lot of spatial awareness because you've got no mud guards to help you. Yeah. But it doesn't teach you the patience. And neither does Dev Series. Mm. Because Dev Series is quite often a 20 lap race with five racing laps and 15 safety car laps. <laughs> yeah. So they've all learned to get on with it now. Yeah. Because this might be the only race. Yeah. Know? There might be a safety car, they might finish it under safety car or call it off because They've used to race with the main game and the main game's the game. Yeah. So they'll chop your race five laps short if they have to to make sure it runs on time for the television. Yeah. So those guys are trained to get on with it. Mm. So you've got to slap them around the face, mate. Get that out of your head. This is a whole different game. Mm. This is about survival, not making the opportunity happen right now. Yeah. You know, there's plenty of time for opportunities. You might not even need to race that bloke by the end of the day. Yeah. You know, so don't, don't get pig-headed and start getting into a – who you picking? Who you might pick? Who you find out? Type game, mm. but you might not have to do that in in a, a long all day race. Particularly if the conditions are really tricky. Mm. If you survive it, you might just be, you might pass five people just by yeah. not doing anything silly, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very different sort of game. So I spent a long time 
telling them about that. Mm. They probably, oh, Christ, the old bloke's nagging again. You know? <laughs> yeah. But in the end, they did listen. They listened very well and they did survive mm. by and large, you know. In a day that's got plenty of days for an opportunity to things to go wrong, yeah, they did very few mistakes between yeah. them. Matt had a couple of offs. Jalen managed a flat spot a tire, mm. but really, was that due to him? His, his, was that due to his exhaustion though? Because is that why he flat spotted? I or don't, was that just was that just trying to him putting a quick lap? Nah, it might be he's avoiding somebody. Yeah, okay. He might just he might be getting a little bit tired, mm. you know. Because I did say to him, you will get tired. Yeah. This is not five laps and sit down and have a break overnight. This is all day. Yeah. So we did have a drink bottle failure because we had a mixed pit crew. Yeah. Oh, because you were shared with the Blanchards. To get the pit, oh, to get yeah, the I drink, totally thought about that. To get the drink bottle out, you have to push the little button. It's clipped in. Yeah. So you had to push the clip. Well, we didn't tell the Blake that, did we? Like no. In all the million things you got to remember. So he's grabbed the drink bottle. <laughs> Oh, no. And ended up with half a drink bottle. Then <laughs> most of the day, there was no drink bottle. Yeah, right. Holy shit. So so they couldn't stay hydrated in the car, really, because well, the bottle was Keep in mind, the stints aren't long. Only 20-something laps. Oh, right. 24 okay. laps. So I quizzed Jalen quite a bit because he was the first one to suffer the problem. Mm. And he said, oh, I was a bit thirsty when I got out, but no, it's not affecting me that much. Mm. But at some point, you're facing a double stint to change the brakes, and that the drink bottle happened well before that. So that was a problem that was coming. But with so many safety cars, you can fit that in. If if you think about it, you can do it. Mm. So although the brake change was a raging disaster, um, it could have been a lot worse if there's no safety car, for example. Yeah. But um, like that's, that coincided with his flat spot. That's what we had to – or Matt oh – I know Matt bunkered it. Yeah. And the, the there was a fair bit of – the story I was told was there's a lot of mud caked around the caliper. Mm. And the caliper's got a quick, oh, because of the wet quick release stability yeah. fitting that was had to dig it out, and they, yeah. obviously they don't perform well with mud. Yeah, yeah, if you yeah. know what I mean. Oh, so it wasn't breaking properly because of the mud, or was well, it taking no, off properly? It, 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 it had an off, right? Yeah. And we thought, well, we'll pit now because it's the end of the stint anyway. Mm. And while we're at it, we'll do a brake change because we thought we had a you know brake pedals get a bit long. Yeah, which they do after pads wear for a while. Mm. Um, but in the process. When we went to get the caliper off, you couldn't find the brake fitting in amongst the mud, mm. and that they're not tractor fittings or mining fittings. They're you know, nice little race car type fittings. Yeah. So they don't respond well to mud. Yeah, right. But that's we... just luck of the draw, isn't it? You know. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm just checking if we're rolling. That's we're all. rolling. We're all yep. good. Yep, we're yeah. good. Keep... Everything sound okay in your headphones? Yeah, fine. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. No problems working for me. Go on, go on with the brake the brake caliper thing though. Or... Well, what you do to change the brakes? Mm. Some people leave the caliper on mm. and they've got a spline on the hub so they cock the – pull the pads out and yeah. push them back. It's like a whole thing, isn't it? Then cock, just, yeah. well, no, not everybody does that. So your Blanchard's okay. had a splined hub yeah. because it's an FPR car, I think. Right? Yeah. So you've got to push the pistons back and the pads back, pull the pads out, then you cock the disc, slide it out around over the end of the hub, mm. then you put the other one on. But the spline only locates in five places, so the other guy's got to hold this hub for you and help you line up the – the five dogs that yeah, line right. up, right? On the case of our car, it was a different arrangement. It was just pull the whole disc off and the caliper off, put another disc and another caliper on. So the holders on the Fords are different with that or is it just certain cars that they... Yeah, you can do it any way you want. Mm. You've just... The regulations is you have to change a disc. Mm. You have to change a... Do a brake change, like mm. a disc change between lap 55 and 120. Well, obviously you go to about lap 80-something because it's about halfway. 
Yeah. So the brakes are about the same. Ideally, you go a little bit past because your brakes are better at the end. Yeah. And then the race is, as I keep saying, the race is the end, not the beginning. Yeah. But it doesn't matter where you are in the first lap, preferably not in the bunker, but mm. where you are, you could be last, it doesn't matter. Like Peter Brock's been known to win it by six laps. Right? Yeah. So that tells you. But you can't get to that in this current day, though, can you? No, you, you can't. Can, no. Because no, no, it's no. just too competitive and there's too much air on stuff. It's, it's much, like a sprint much, race. Much more competitive, much more controlled. A lot more teams with the, with the same wherewithal, mm. the same knowledge. Yeah. So, yes, everybody finished on the lead lap and it's a bit contrived, mm. but the pace is very fast mm. and the cars are very, very equal. Mm. I was explaining to Brooke because I was Brooke's like, oh, it's a long, it's a long race, mm. and I was trying to explain to her that supercars, the way that the technology has gone with these cars now is just, it's a sprint race essentially now. Like it just go, go. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. back in the eighties and the seventies, yeah. more like, you know what I mean? You'd start at seven or 8am and it would just yeah. take to all day. But now we start like at a later distance yeah. at like 11. You used to start at nine or 10 o'clock, I think. Yeah. Originally. A lot later. Yeah. 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 The race took a lot longer because cars were slower, mm. but, but there were a lot of other bits to it as well. Mm. Um, like when we went at 1990, we went the fastest car. Mm. But what, what we worked on all year, when I was, we'd, we'd go to race meet and I'd get the car pulled apart, we'd look at everything, so it worked back together. And if it didn't replace them, we'd run it and see how far it would go. So by the time you get to Bathurst, you know exactly how far everything goes. Mm. It's a lot of work during the year, uh, but at least you knew how far everything went. And, and those days we knew the front wheel bearings were dicky. Mm. They were pretty average looking thing that... What team, what team was this in 1990? So HRT. HRT, that's what yeah. I thought, yeah. 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 And that, that the front uprights, because there was no people, no time, no money, as there usually is standard motor racing formula, Yeah. the front wheel bearings were clone off a Rover, yeah, which right. was a Citroen or something, right? So it was just a double row ball bearing. It was a very dodgy thing. Yeah. And they were known to be dicky, so we'd pull them apart, fill them up with the right sort of grease yeah. and ground and make sure they had the right clearance and everything. Yeah. But we had a spare set of hubs ready to go, complete struts ready to go mm. with these stability fittings. So if the wheel bearings started to fail, we could change the struts. Well, you're not going to win it at that, but at least you're still going. Yeah. And you're not going to dump the car because if the wheel bearing gets too far, you've got no brake pedal. Yeah. And there'll be a point where you can't pump it up quick enough, right? Yeah. So, so like the, the cars now are much more race car mm. and a lot less road car. So... But in those days, very few people would turbocharge cars, grasp brake cooling, brake sizes. Brake, they didn't grasp a lot of things, right? So we worked on a lot of things that we could do, which mean we could drive the car flat out all day. Yeah. So if you've got two fast blokes like Grice and that Win Percy, yeah. you can drive it flat out all day. So although on a qualifying lap with no boost, because we're normally aspirated, you're not fast, mm. a bloke can't wind his boost up because one, it kills the turbo, and second, it kills the brakes. Yeah. So... And Commodores had bigger tyres, mm. which at Bathurst is not a big thing. It's not particularly hard on tyres, but if you've got a Sierra with 650 horsepower and eight-inch wheels, it becomes pretty critical. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a, we had advantages. We just played to them. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we had HRT had two cars in the first five and Larry was a third. Yeah. So there were five Commodores in the first – three Commodores, sorry, in the first five cars. Mm. So, like, Commodores are – purely by being able to drive flat out all day, we're fairly competitive. Yeah. Although on a single lap, like I think we were five seconds off pole. Yeah. The, you know, like these days, 5.5 off pole, you, 
nowhere. Yeah. You know? yeah the 90s, were they, they were the Sierras as the Holdens, weren't they? Sierras and yeah. Nissan, Nissan. Yeah, that's right. The 1990 was the first year of the Nissan four-wheel drive. Yeah. And so, those things were like miles ahead of everyone else. So they got, were well, they really or not, or not really? Is that just? Oh, like, yeah, massive bat. Like just huge. Like for a start, they had bigger wheels. Yeah. They are a bit heavier, mm. but they got two turbo chargers. Yeah. And they've got 750 horsepower or something. Mm. Like a Commodore in those days had 510. Yeah. Well, in a place where you're on throttle 80% of the time, 200 horsepower is a pretty hefty disadvantage. Yeah. Their extra 50 kilos isn't going to knock them around that bad. Yeah. Because they've got 18-inch wheels and they've got a bigger tyre anyway, effectively. So, like, it's a, it was a very unfair arrangement. Yeah. Fortunately, in 1990, the car, like the Nissan being, it, it was that was its first year and it wasn't particularly reliable. Yeah. So they, it came out recently that Freddie admitted in an interview they actually changed cars Saturday night. They did. The race car was a problem. Yeah. And they changed, they put the test car back in because they couldn't get the race car behave properly. So that so they had a spare car in the back, like yeah. race car in a way. They had two cars. They had a training car. Yeah. So they could run two cars all week. In those days, you could run a two car. Yeah, right. Oh, kind of like an F1 as well. They used to have a backup car. Have a two car. Mm. And they... they but and a race car, but they actually swapped the two car and the race car, didn't they? Yeah, right. Like that that came from an interview with Freddie Gibson recently. So Yeah. I'm not making it up. He's no, yeah. he's he's the bloke who told the story. But how did you like obviously from your Formula Ford background, being a racer, how did you work out from well, first of all, how did you decide to give up Formula Ford and then decide the engineering route though? Because you you were like at the top of the coke, you know what I mean? Like you were racing competitively like with guys like Richard Davison. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and you're winning Coke Series, you're second in nationals. When did you decide, just like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll go more into the Formula Ford stuff, but how did you just decide, screw that, I'll just start engineering? Did you think, was that because of the money thing or yeah, was it? Got to earn a living. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they don't pay much of racing drivers in those days. I, yeah. I, had, I did have a very good opportunity at one point. So I used to do a lot of work with Frank Gardner. Yep. And Frank Gardner was trying to get whoppers in those days, Formula Atlantic here. Mm. And the Formula Atlantic was basically Ford BDA engines, mm. right? Uh, but there was a Toyota engine because Peter Williamson bought a Tolman mm. with a Toyota in it, right? And Frank Gardner was trying to get a couple of marches yep. with um, BMW engines in, right? Mm. But because the Maurer BMW things had such a fearsome reputation, all the local blokes lobbied against it. Yeah, right. So it, And you needed dispensation because of... The category is meant to be BDA Fords, not BMWs or Toyotas, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got to overcome all the resistance of everybody else that thinks they're going to get a walloping from a BMW engine. Mm. And Frank had me geared up to drive one of those cars because I was a you know, Formula Forder mm. and he'd been watching me for a long time. Frank was one of quite a few people that were very good to me. Yeah. You know, like I wasn't naturally smart. I got a lot of help from a lot of good people Yeah, as well, you know, like motor racing. People think it's all full of secretive people and don't tell you anything. I've never found it to be that way. Yeah. I've found a lot of the people at the top are a bit of God helps those who helps themselves type. If you if you look like you're trying and you're working hard, they'll help you along. Yeah. And I certainly found that to be my case. You know, through my career, I've I've had a lot of help from a lot of very good and very good people at the top of the tree. Yeah. Um, not just, I mean, some people you've heard of, some people you wouldn't have heard of. Yeah. But they're all pretty clever people. Yeah. But with your Formula Ford stuff, actually, how did you actually just originally just get into racing? Like, do you know what I mean? Was oh, it? Did well, you just? There's a bunch of mates like Bruce 
you've met yeah, through yeah. historic racing. Yeah. I used to go to school with he and his brother. Yeah, okay. And I'm going to visit his brother after I leave you today. Yeah, okay. Um, and we've been friends, you know. Ever since. Since high school, right? So you and Bruce and his brother have been friends since high school? Yes. Yeah, okay. And he, and he had a cousin who was into racing a bit mm. um, and a mate with a hot angler. So we used to go to Warwick Farm and watch the races and who and are and like way beyond our price range, you know, Lotus Cortinas and stuff, but that was my... That was my car, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, then I went to tech, and at tech I bumped in Elwyn Nickley. Mm. And Elwyn had a group, like a brother and a few mates, and they were into racing. So then we, because of my mates at tech and the mates at high school, we amalgamated into a reasonable-sized group of people who were into car racing, right? Yeah. And, and motorbike racing. Like, Bruce was not really a car racer when he started. He was a motocross racer. Yeah, right. Like he was B-grade open motocross at his, at his time, and Elm was a motocross racer. Oh, Elm yeah, was Elm as well. Was into racing. He was motocross as well, right? Yeah. So I actually bought a Lynx Formula Ford off a bloke called Dick Carter, who you may or may not have heard of. He won yeah. the championship a couple of times, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway, I bought this Lynx, and everybody's like, wow, well, he's got a racing car. Well, it yeah. didn't take long, and I. So those two were like, you've got a racing car? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And I crashed the racing car, right? Yeah. Well, uh, Lindsay and Bruce had had a Formula V for a short time before that. Yeah. But that didn't work out that well for various reasons because we were, like everybody that comes in, didn't know didn't know a damn thing. Yeah, yeah. And the car they got wasn't really the car they thought they bought. Yeah. I mean, it was in some bits, but not perhaps in the engine and Yeah, typical motorsport, though. You think exactly. you've got one thing, but you get another. You need to, you know, from that lesson, I've given a lot of people guidance on buying race cars that's helped them mm. sort of thing. But everybody learns at once, you know. Mm. So anyway, yeah, so yeah, I got this Lynx Formula Ford, which is a Pretty basic thing, but it was something to learn to drive in. Mm. And Elwyn and I actually started out building clubman cars. And Dave Moore was the bloke who speared us off that. He's like, no, nah, this Formula Ford thing's a common thing. Forget the clubman stuff. This is, you want to be a world champion, this is where you need to go, you know? Yeah, right. So clubmans were before the Formula Ford yeah, thing. Like they were the it thing. Elwyn and I started building clubman cars at one point, right? Yeah. And we had like three or four sets of wishbones hanging around his, his dad's shed roof because yeah. every time we'd build something, then we'd, by the time we'd finished, we'd come up with a better design. Yeah. And eventually it's like, we've got to settle on <laughs> Sooner or later we've got to go with this because we're never going to drive it. We're just going to spend our life in this shed and green acre making wishbones, right? <laughs> so, so then in the meantime, I got the Formula Ford. Then I crashed the Formula Ford and we thought, oh, we can build a new chassis. But it was it was a Lynx. It used to be Kevin Bartlett's Lynx originally. Yeah. When it was a new car, Kevin Bartlett was driving it. Right? Yeah. But it went through various hands. Anyway, when I crashed it, we thought, hmm. We'll build a new car. We'll build yeah. a new chassis, right? Then we looked at the chassis and we thought, we can do a better job of that. And just like the wishbones, things progressed to the point where the only thing we used was the steering rack and the front uprights. Yeah. Everything else we built new, right? Everything I had to buy a new gearbox, you know, you name it, we built new, right? Yeah. So it was like, so the links got sort of given to various people in parts of it and the chassis got thrown in the tip at Marylands and so forth, right? Yeah, right. So it was unusable, the links after the crash. No, it was. It would have been quite usable. It was only yeah. a few cracks in the chassis, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, we can do it better. We just you just bend it and start it again. away and end up yeah basically. Wow. <laughs> and we had the engine. Yeah, yeah, of course. And yeah. For various contrivings, it was the original Dagenham engine. It wasn't a Kent engine, right? Yeah. Because it was very early Formula Ford. So by various hooks and crooks, we end up swapping that in a road car for a Kent engine. Then I had to learn to build an engine because you got so, to learn, learn to read the rule book and how to get the best out of an engine, right? Yeah. But it was a quite used engine, so it wasn't that good that way. But it was an engine, so that's that was my first Formula Ford engine. 
Yeah, was that from a wrecking yard, the Ken engine, or was it from? No, we swapped it in a used car. In a used car, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a bit devious, but that's yeah, what yeah. happened. That's what people do to go motor racing. Yeah, <laughs> they're not <laughs> necessarily all entirely honest. I'm interested. The, the, the what was it? The Diagon engine, Dag- Dagenham, Dagenham engine. Kent, the name Kent comes from the plant in Kent. That's yeah. where the engines are made. Dagenham was the plant where the original Crossflow engines are made. Yeah, okay. The original Crossflow engine was made in Dagenham in England, mm. and then they shifted to the Kent plant and the. The design changed a bit, so the Kent engines are actually stronger. You could run both. Yeah, I think if you read the rules now, you could still run both. Yeah. Historic, right? Yeah, but you wouldn't because the Kent engine's better. Yeah, so it didn't take long, and everybody had a Kent engine. Yeah, sort of thing. And the Dagen one was that better? Like, um, I'm trying to think here. It was just what I had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It came with a car, so initially that's what we had. Yeah, but once we could get a Kent engine because we knew they were better, yeah, we just swapped it out and. Away yeah. we went. It sounds, it sounds like the Dagon one had better bottom end and the, the Ken engine yeah, had it was better more, top end. Yeah, it was more of a road car engine. Yeah. I think the, the Dagenham things had a bit of combustion chamber in the head mm. where the Kents are flat, but I think Ken had a better camshaft and a bigger carburetor. Yeah. Right, so in the world of motor racing, bigger is better usually. Yeah. So that's why they ended up with them, yeah. yeah so right. we, we built that car and I raced the car for quite a while. And I want to add a couple of drives to the car because in those days you could get on a racetrack relatively easily. It wasn't like now, mm. damn near impossible. Like in those days, some racetracks would go several days without anyone using them even. Mm. You know? or, or if you went out to drive it, you could be there on your own all day or with another car. It wasn't, mm. wasn't a huge thing. Yeah, like, right. Like driving schools, high performance driving schools weren't a big thing in that day, you know, and – Driving schools weren't a big thing in the day. No. no. Like, you know, the Peter Finlay thing and that. There yeah. wasn't a lot of them. There was some, but not many. Yeah. And people testing race cars wasn't common. Yeah, right. Like, like John Smith was a Formula V racer, right? Mm. And he was part of the Dave Moore group. Like, yeah. Dave was our original influence because Elwin was a, an apprentice at the Sydney County Council. Mm. Another fellow at the Sydney County Council was a guy called John O'Brien. Mm. And John O'Brien's recently got his clubman back and he now drives it. But he, he was building a clubman at Dave Moore's workshop in Lapish Avenue at Asheville, right? Yeah. So Elman said, oh, this bloke's building race cars. We'll go and look. And we went, oh, yeah, see, this works. So we got a lot of guidance out of Dave. And Dave was a bloke who steered us onto Formula Ford. Mm. Like I had, I had a hot road car, like a Cortina with a couple of webbers and a close ratio gearbox and limited slip diff. Mm. And Dave's like, what are you wasting time on a road car for? It's going nowhere. Like yeah, all yeah. that happens is it costs a lot of money and you kill yourself. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. You need a race car that way. When it dies, you just park it until <laughs> you can fix it. Then you go and race again. You just get an old Ute, which yeah. is what I did. Was this back when Dave? Was this back when? Well, Dave was always on the hill, but this was no, it, no, was before he was on before, the hill. Before he was on before the hill. Before he was on the hill. Oh, yeah, okay. right. Oh, so this is before before the actual more engineering was on that hill. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, this he was on Lapish Avenue in Asheville originally. Okay. I don't know if the shed's still there, but it was in little. It's a little Ash, little road in Asheville. Yeah. And he was in a shed on the side of Lapish Avenue, yeah. Yeah. Did he uh, have more Did he have m- more room for cars back then, though? No, like, what's it the- was tiny. That's why he ended up, well, he was paying rent probably, so. Yeah. And he bought the property up there and then put up the shed, so. Yeah. He built um, the shed first and the house, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. He was living in the end of the shed for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> same, so, with, same with Diane. They were all living yeah. in the shed, essentially. So El, El and I helped him shift up there and so forth. Okay. If you, if you look at the back of the shed, there's an old Albion truck. It'll still be there, no doubt, right? Yeah. So we used to have challenges like Dave's like, because it's got no synchromesh, right? And it's yeah. the flywheel weighs 40 tonne, right? Yeah. And Dave's like, oh, well, you think you're a good racing driver. See, so you can drive that around the block. Yeah. Well, I'd learned to drive on a comma, an old comma truck, which had no synchro. Yeah. So I had no trouble with it. Like, yeah. He's yeah. like, 
<laughs> See, running racing guy, and he's like, hmm. <laughs> "Why do Holy I feel like shit. just been stooged?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, but you were essentially running. You were running Dave's shop. Were you? Were you, were you no, helping no, no. What happened or? was El and I were working. I was I was an electrical fitter. By trade, I'm an electrical fitter. I was mm. working at electric motor factory mm. down at Arncliffe in Sydney, right? Mm. Doing my apprenticeship, and Elwyn decided he didn't like the county council, so. He was building a race car and I was working overtime paying him to build my race car. Right? Yeah. And in Greenacre. And then Dave moved up to a place at Greenacre before he went to the hill. Yeah. Right? He was in Ford Street. Mm. Right? So he had the business going in Ford Street. Then his brother-in-law took over the business when Dave went up on the hill. So Elwin and I worked for his brother-in-law and his brother-in-law sold out Elwin and I. Mm. So we ended up with the business and Elwin decided he wanted to move to Goulburn, so I bought Elwin out, which is why I ended up with the one at Greenacre. Yeah, right. right. So yeah, okay. I was there for about 10 or 12 years or something, I think, mm. before I got bought out of that by HRT. They actually bought me out. HRT bought you out? Mm. I didn't know that. They want me to go there. Yeah. I got a business here, so they bought the business out, basically. Wow. So they Holy bought, bought me out of there to go there to do the job. Yeah, yeah right. But did, wait, did you work for – oh, you did. You worked for HRT – was it HRT first, then yes. Lansvale? Yeah, HRT. Oh. Well, not really. Because hmm. it's different different, when different, I was, different when I was at I used to do part-time jobs for people. Right? Yeah. So Lansvale was a part-time job. Yeah. Right, when they had their Commodore. But I used to do a lot of work for a lot of touring car people like Peter McLeod. Yeah, okay. Terry Sheil. Yeah. Ronnie Gillard. Phil Alexander. Yeah. Uh, and – and a lot of Bathurst stuff for John Goss, you know, a lot of people, but not permanent, not full time. So you're contracting yourself out, but little bits, yes, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it might be a small contract, like build fuel churns mm. and some bits and pieces for refueling, or it might be like Lansvale where I just hired out the whole weekend and a, and a considerable time before to make the car work properly, then go to Bathurst and organise yeah. it, right? Yeah. So it just depended. And our my first team management job, if you want to call it that, was at 1982 with a, a Goodyear Mazda RX-7 mm. with Ronnie Gillard. He yep. was driving it with Mark Gibbs. Yep. And then 1983, I drove at Bathurst with Terry Shield in an RX-7. Mm. And then- You drove with him? Yes. While managing the team? No. That come, oh, no. no, I was just a co-driver. Okay. Yeah. It was about the era of the fuel injection in Mazda. It's quite an interesting little circus. Yeah. Touring cars, in a lot of ways, have come a long way. Like people say to me, oh, it was better back then. I'm like, no, it was different. Mm. Because I've, you know, I've been. They see it as a spectator entertainment. I see it as a working in the industry, and who's got a chance to win a motor race. So I see it from a very different viewpoint. Yeah, you get a lot of comments like that on social media. Though, do yes, you know what I mean? but but they spectators, necess- not necessarily workers. Yeah, was it better? It was a lot more adventure mm. and a lot more unknown. So I suppose it was different, which is why I say it's different. Right? Yeah. Now, if you go there, and like we just. We hired a car, like Charters hired a car off HRT. Yeah. We took the car there. We changed the steering rack because we weren't sure about it and we replaced one broken bolt. Yeah. Didn't lay a spanner on the car otherwise, just a normal check it other, all weekend. We went the car, didn't take the engine out. Yeah, and just give it all back to them at the end of the weekend. Give it all back to them, right? Yeah. And that's a pretty reliable motor car. Mm. Like, it's not a bad car, and, that one. And a pretty fast car, right? Yeah. But keep in mind, all the cars are exactly the same mm. because you can't change anything, right? That. The only thing that's not controlled in the current car is the front upright and the front wishbones. Yeah. Everything else is controlled. Everything, right? Yeah. Even the horsepower is controlled. You know you've got the same horsepower as everyone else. Yeah. Right? You can't make more and you can't virtually – you can make more up to the point. Mm. So everybody does that. So everybody's got the same horsepower. Yeah. Right? 
But how do you engine? Uh, it's I don't know how to. Is it? I guess it's just more money spent. I guess because like Red Bull, as you said, Shane Van Gisbergen. But do you know what I mean? But you've you've managed in your time to engineer cars that essentially are like underdogs to the front. Do you know what I mean? Like how did you how could, did how did you, you can't can't how make, did you mathematically work that? If, out? if a bloke's fast, he's fast. If he's not, he's not. Right. Yeah. What people don't understand with supercars, mm. you, you know, you see a lot of people thinking that. that Triple Eight are better in some way. They got some magic trick. Yeah, yeah, they do. It gets out and walks off. It's called chain. Yeah, right? it's that simple. Yeah, it really is that simple. Yeah, right? what they've got there, Roland understands that you need a fast bloke. Mm. Above all else, you need a fast bloke, right? Yeah, you know, like I get a lot of people tell me Roland's this and Roland's that. My experience with Roland is very good. Mm. I find him a very sporting guy mm. and a very straight shooter. And the people I know that work for him find exactly the same. He looks after his people and he's quite loyal to them. Yeah, right. I would not send Dave Couchy there if I didn't trust it. Yeah, okay. Because I knew Dave. Dave did work experience with his Lansvale. And Anglo, didn't he, as well? We, oh, did he work yeah, with well, Anglo? He was his pit crew for Rob. Yeah, okay. My young bloke with the Formula 4 when Timmy ran him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Oh, so Couchy was your young bloke's old, yeah, or he was, was Rob's engineer? He was, oh. Well, he was an engineer oh, then. He was just a pit yeah, crew guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, he, he did work experience at Lansvale while he was still doing his uni course and stuff. Yeah. And I know his mum and dad and they're really nice people, right? And Dave's a really good guy. Mm. Like when, when he was looking for a job, he wanted to come with me at Tasman, but I wasn't planning on staying at Tasman. So mm. it was like, no, I don't think you need to be here. I'll find you somewhere, leave it with me and I'll shop, right? Yeah. So I shopped several places I thought were worthwhile. One was HRT, mm-hmm. one was FPR, and one was Triple Eight. Yeah. And a friend of mine, a very good friend, rang me from Triple Eight and said, can he CAD draw? I said, yeah, he can. He said, good, the drawing bloke just resigned. Mm-hmm. So I can't put his name in there. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's how he ended up there. Yeah. CAD and drawing's um, on the computer, isn't it? Yeah. Brooke, yes. Brooke's done a yes. bit of engineering, yes. by the way. CAD drawing's on the computing, yeah. 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 Computer-aided design's what CAD And you says. flipped and you literally just flipped the car around and- well, You can, you know do, you you can, can make anything. You can predict what that- you, if you, can, you can build a widget and you, can, you know exactly what's going to weigh. Yeah. Virtually, you know, when it's machined, you, you know exactly what's going to happen, right? Mm. It's it's a very useful thing mm. in terms of making stuff because you can make it before you make it, so you, you know it's going to fit for a start. Yeah, they're even three D printing now. Some of it, aren't they? Just, yeah. to, just you know, at uni they a were to of, test it. Yeah, yeah, a lot of bits on the cars are three D printed. Mm. Yeah, like I mean, there's still, like Brad's have got five three D printers. Yeah, they make little air scoops, wear wing mounts, aerial mounts, all sorts of stuff. You know, mm. and it's the way to do it. Yeah, are you amazed by what you've worked on from like the seventies and eighties to now? Like, you did, did you did you get to a point where you go like, oh, sh- like shit, the tech. Like, I even get that with like when I'm talking to Brooke about technology with computers, for example. Did you did you just go, holy shit, there's so much stuff now than there was back then that you're trying to keep up with? Do you know what I mean? It or did, did you just keep to the same method of like engineering? Always, it's the engineering things like that different. You just get a lot of help. Yeah, like data originally didn't exist. Like. Like, for example, spring travel or suspension travel is a tie wrap around the shock shaft yeah, or around the spring coils, right? Well, now you've got a $500 sensor, mm. but you can know exactly where it is, how fast it moves, so you just get better information. Mm. Whether that makes more entertainment for the person viewing mm. is arguable. Right? Yeah. Um, certainly more entertaining for like people like me working in it because mm. you're not guessing. I, I would say that I gave a lot of thought to shock draft travel, travel, shock draft travel speed. Because mm. when you do shock absorbers, you need to know which speed you're working in when you muck with the valving because you yeah. muck with the wrong speed. The brake says, I can't feel it. 
Yeah. But if you muck with the right bit, it's like, wow, yep, that's it. Yeah. So when I got travel sensors and stuff and data logging, then you it, it fixes all that information. You got it, you know. Yeah. You're not guessing anymore. I was pretty happy with myself that I'd pretty much estimated the area I was working in anyway. Mm. Perhaps not dead accurate, but wasn't that far off the money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like like if you ever see a Bill Stein valving, for example, it's, it'll say 240 over 180, for example, right? So it gives you a rebound figure and a bump figure. That's at half a metre a second, right? Yeah. Well, if you ever look at data logging from a race car, unless you go over a curb, it never gets within a bull's roar of half a metre a second. Yeah. If you went to Bahrain, you would swear the travel sensors have failed because it's a Formula One track. It's like it's yeah. like a concrete floor. It's flat. Right? Yeah. The surface is shit, but the Yeah, it's like Phillip Island where you go there. Flat as a pack. Yeah. Right. So the travel sensors don't move that much. You know? Yeah, okay. So it, it enables you to grasp which bits you need to work with very quickly. Yeah. Right. Which in, if you think of supercars is very important now because you don't get much time to work it out. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I went to help Blanchards at Sandown, for example, but I had another guy with me, another yeah. Computer. Why are they calling you then, though? I'm, I don't understand because you were just on the TV. They're like, oh, Wally Story's here, which is great mm. for me because I've known you for so long. Do you know but, what I mean? Like- well, what happened was they had a team manager guy who was unhappy, mm. going through a bit of grief. Um, yeah. And the, and the engineer, Mirko, he was having his back operated on. He, he, yeah, He'd had okay. a big disc problem, so they had no team oh. manager and no engineer. Yeah, right? okay. So they so, had no technical so no no to fill in. Yeah, they had no one to fill in that hole. So yeah. I was actually going to Sandown anyway with charters because I was going to Bathurst. Yeah. And I was going, but I, I didn't really want to go to Sandown because I absolutely like it. Yeah. The track's great. But that time of year, my experience with Sandown is it's cold, wet and windy. Yeah. Right? And and it was cold, wet and, and windy. windy. Yeah. Right? Surprise, surprise. It was exactly <laughs> like I thought it would be, right? Yeah. And the wife, she's saying, you should go, you know. that You need it for the Bathurst thing, you know, know everybody and, you know, can guide them a bit. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I go and I'm like, it's Sandown. Nobody wants to go there. It's, it's, it's like. It sounds like Wakefield Park of Winton. Do you yeah, know it's, like, it's, it's purgatory, right? Yeah. And we get a garage at Sandown. I, I hate what it's like. It's like for the zoo class guys. Yeah. No, it's, it's just miserable, right? <laughs> anyway. So she's like, you better go. I'm like, yeah, right. So it's about half past eight. We're sitting out the front veranda admiring the birds and the kangaroos and the yeah. scenery, right? And I'm like, yeah, right. So I sent her a message, okay, I'll organise my transport to be picked up at Barney on the way past. And 10 o'clock, I get a message from Timmy Blanchard saying, are you coming to Sandown? The luck would have it. I am, yes. Yeah. Oh, good. I've got a job for you. Well, I wasn't actually coming as a spectator, oddly <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, so yeah. then I had to ring charters up and say, listen, I mean, there's a problem here, buddy. Yeah. Uh, I've got to find another friend who's in more need than you're in. Yeah. So, although I mean, provide the accommodation. Yeah. And some, oh, for you that some weekend. Of the meals, yeah. Well, they do already yeah, had it. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right. you had to pick up the car anyway for the mm. Bathurst. Yes, that's right. Yeah, they, yeah. they they had a couple of drives on the ride day afterwards on the Monday. Mm. I didn't stay for that, and no. I mean, didn't stay for that. You got a business to run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's the, you know, it's a family business, but they still got to be there to make money. Doesn't, yeah. Doesn't make. That's not a printing press. It, you know, you have to be there to turn the work over. Yeah. So most of them went home on the yeah. Sunday night. So go back to the Slade thing. You were randomly brought in there and then, well, and then managed to, because the, you were there, they had that direction at that point. Because if, if well, you had nobody. Yeah. Like, they, man, it's a group of young guys, right? And they had a setup sheet. The car was already set up because I imagine um, Merco had done all that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they already had that. They just didn't have any people to make decisions. Yeah. If you know what I mean. So. Yeah. Between myself and Chris, we made a few decisions that obviously helped the car quite a bit. Yeah. And we delved in an area I'd never delved in before, but it wasn't 
or I was keen to have a look and it mm. looked like it was worth having a look and it did work. Like, so. I yeah, mean, right. keep in mind in a touring car there aren't really many places to delve. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like there's a very adjustable, but yeah, it's a, it's a big, heavy car with a spool. It's like a, an overweight go-kart. Yeah. Right? So to make it turn, you have to make the inside back wheel light somehow. Yeah. You can't just turn the thing because the back wheels, especially if you're on the throttle, mm. it sits all its weight in the back, then it just goes straight ahead. Yeah. So you right. need to be able to make this thing turn like a go-kart is what they call free it up. Yeah. You still, the touring car's not that different. You have to you, you have to pick the back wheel up and at least make it light enough so the inside wheel can scrub. Mm. But you need it on the ground when you get on the throttle because it won't cop 650-odd horsepower through one hard tyre. Mm. Right? So it's like a Formula Ford. You've got to balance it in the middle to make it perfect yes. in well, a way. A touring car is a different thing. It gets slap time out of brakes and acceleration. Doesn't okay. It? Doesn't get much out of mid corner, but you still have to get it pointed the right direction to sit on both back tyres before you get on with it. Yeah. Because if you try and drive it off one back tyre, one, it'll kill the tyre very quickly, mm. and two, wear it out very quickly, and two, won't have any drive because one's not enough. Mm. You're going to sit the other one back on the ground. So you need to pick it up so it'll turn, sit it back on the ground before you get on with it. Yeah, right. And there's various ways you can do that, obviously. Yeah, and so what, you'd be working around the tyres then because in supercars you've got the super soft. Don't they have, do they have the super soft still or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah the softs the hardest. Sounds like Formula One, doesn't yeah. it? Seventy five versions of tires. Yeah, so you've got essentially you've got to set it up but you per get, tire, don't you? You get stuck. Yeah, well, this picking the wheel up. Mm. I mean, it's Dick put it very right. It's like picking the fly shit out of the pepper. Yeah, it's not. You're not looking for five seconds. You're looking for five hundreds. Yeah, right. So what keeps them alive is the tires because they've got a shitload of grunt, mm. a shitload of brakes, and very Small tyres. Right? Yeah. They look big, but they're not very big if you think 650 horsepower, right? Yeah. And they've got a lot of torque. So the thing that makes a lap time in them and keeps them going is keeping the tyres alive, mm. which gets down to tyre pressures, camber, caster, and your shock absorbers and your weight transfer at the right time and your general setup. Right? Yeah. So that's all the things you've got to keep in, keep in mind. Yeah. And that might be different to squeezing one lap in qualifying. Yeah. Right? Squeezing a lap in qualifying is one thing. Squeezing, mm. you know, being able to hammer along for thirty-four laps or something at Sandown mm. on a place that notoriously is very ungrippy. Yeah, and that's because the horse racing on the inside, and they don't they have that weird spray. No, no that's it's just that's a bitumen a- surface. Okay, it's it's if you ever look at bitumen, mm. it's got bitumen like glue yeah. and rocks. Yeah, or in other words, gravel and filler. Call yeah, it what you yeah, like. yeah, all the the filler wears out, but the rocks don't. Yeah. So eventually you end up with what we call a land-sea ratio, which has got the rocks sticking up. So mm. when a tyre wears out, it doesn't wrap over the rocks as much. Yeah. And it's only a small amount, right? But it doesn't have to be much, right? Yeah. To lose a bit of grip because, again, we're picking the fly shit out of the pepper. You're not dumping five seconds. You've only got to dump a few tenths and you're nowhere. Yeah. You with me? Yeah. So you've got to try and keep your thing a couple of tenths ahead of everybody else. Yeah. The game is not to fix all the problems because the problems are going to be there. The game is to work a solution that you deal with the problems better than everybody else. Mm. I mean, it's a big, heavy car with a spool with not much grip. Mm. Everybody's got that, right? And at Sandown, it's very ungrippy because the bitumen is very old. Yeah. Because it's always teetering on the edge of life, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Well, they're not. They're teetering on either replacing exactly. the track or getting rid of it. They exactly. It so it's always teetering on the edge of life. But to re-bitumen that, it's going to be millions of dollars. Yeah. So the question is, is it going to enough, earn you enough money? To re-surface to it. To make it worthwhile. Yeah. Right? 
because you can run the horse racing in that as well. But that's not the problem because they run different weekends. Yeah. I mean, the, the residents learn to live with the noise because yeah. they have it's a racetrack there and, and it's not used every day mm. with race cars. It doesn't make a lot of noise. Like if you ran driving schools here with road cars, people work living there wouldn't even know. Yeah, right. For start, most of them at work. Then what do you think of the whole Wakefield thing? That's just that's a weird thing in itself. Do you know what I mean? Like Sandown, literally next to town, like literally next to like houses. Yeah, you could, yeah. At one of the turns, I think have, what turn is it? Turn four or five. Yeah, have you read the legal finding from the Wakefield thing? Uh, sort of. <laughs> yeah, it's but like- it's, It tells it's, you the story, yeah, basically. Yeah, like yeah. the bottom line is when it was built, it was built by a fellow called Paul Samuels and a couple of mates for historic racing. Right? Yeah. Because as you have, you've discovered with historic racing- you don't get necessarily prime treatment yeah. in a lot of cases, right? Which yeah. is we do it like two, three times a year yeah. max. I mean, yeah. so so when they build a racetrack, they build it for historic guys because they were historic guys because they were getting not good treatment everywhere else, right? Yeah. So that all the other racings only come along later, right? So here they've got a, a racetrack. They, they, they put in a development application for two weekends a year. Mm. That was it, right? Yeah. Or two weekends a month. Yeah. Which would have been plenty. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. wouldn't run that many historic races. Yeah. You wouldn't run twenty four a year. Yeah, right? so that would have been plenty at the time. But as time's gone by and driving schools come along and drive days and test days and everything else, everything else, right? Yeah. And more race meetings. Mm. Then all of a sudden, it's succeeding. It's DA, right? Mm. So the neighbours who might have copped a bit of excess of the DA might not cop every day of the week and every yeah. day of the year, right? So. It's understandable why the neighbours might not be impressed because they might have agreed to a DA of two weekends. Yeah. And the, and two of the people that are complaining, as I understand it, families that have been there for, for generations, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the old, we were here first, they mm. were there first, right? Yeah. So although I'm a motor racer and I'd hate to see it go, mm. yeah. the bottom line is just like everybody, motor race people need to toe the line and behave, mm. right? I mean, the motor racing crowd are generally very well behaved and the motor racing People are generally well behaved. You know, it's yeah. not like footy where you see some like beating up his missus every second week on the yeah. on the news, do you? Right? You no. never hear that about racing drivers, right? No, because they're controlled much better from the people who run it and the people who run the teams. Yeah, like anyone who turns up, you know, you don't turn up in a race team and be the driver and start running the show. You get, you know, explained very quickly that hey, you're paid to be here. Yeah, this is your job. Yeah. And we expect our pound of flesh for the money. Yeah. You know, because that's what you are. You're an employee. Yeah. Right? Like some places, you know, I've wanted to do things and not been able to do them because I work for somebody else. So before I do it, I've got to go and clear that with somebody else and they've got a whole different point of view on something. Yeah. So like the Blanchards to the Charters in a way. Because well, you work with that. You work with Amon during the week, don't you? Or we do. Is that I, that's what he said to me and Brooke on the podcast. I know the Bathurst thing from yeah. a long time ago. Like- He's a good friend of Kimmy's and that, right? So when I was at Brad's, yeah, Kimmy came to me and said, look, he's a friend of mine and he's got his young bloke driving a car and he said, I know you're flat out, but I'd take it as a personal favour if you can help me, help him with shock absorbers occasionally, right? Mm. So that's what I did. That's how it started. Yeah, and, okay. And, and it turns out that he's a really good bloke mm. and he doesn't expect anything for nothing mm. and he's got a good grasp of how the world works and he's a really, they're a good family, really nice family, right? Mm. So I helped him along and I, you know, obviously sometimes I had to work quite late to help him out. But yeah. Kimmy is also a good person. If Kimmy says, this is a friend of mine, I'd like you to help him. Yeah. Just like he asked me to go to Bathurst, I don't say jump in the lake because 
I don't do that sort of thing. Yeah. I don't go to town for work. I don't need the work. I am retired. Yeah. I'm happily retired, you know. Yeah. Was but, was Brad Jones, though, a good good ending point for you to feel like if that's when you retired, essentially, didn't you? That was, oh, that was like your last full-time gig. It's not. It's not. I have no problem with BJ's at mm. all. Like Brad's a fair income racer mm. and it's a good place to be. Like, the, you know, it's it's a it's a motor racing place. It, Albury. Albury in the whole the way they Albury's quite a nice place to live. Yeah. But Brad's is quite a good place to work. You know? Yeah. He's, he's not the highest paid because he doesn't have a lot of money, you know. Mm. But by and large, he certainly is pretty loyal to his people. Yeah. You know, like I can go there and do anything I like now because I'm family as far as Brad's concerned. Yeah. I mean, I don't just wander in like I own the joint. I, if I want to go there, say – Rebuild some shop absorbers with Timmy Beale, mm. I will ask him and and I will make a point of doing it when they're not there so I don't interrupt their workflow. Oh, so you'll build some stuff for other teams yes. through Brad if you need well, if you, like if it's a no if it's a favorite. I, I will rebuild some shock absorbers with Timmy Beale because Timmy Beale was very good to me with my son. Yeah, I, yeah. I yep. don't go looking for shock absorber work. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a very different approach, right? Yeah. Um but in, you know, Brad will no problem. Do what you like, you know. And yep. Scalzo, who's the chief engineer, he's no problem. Yep. But and he, but he knows that I one won't bugger anything, two won't get in their way. Yeah. Because they're flat out all the time. Like mm. that's what they do for a job. And trust me, it's full on all the time. Mm. There's no breathing space. It's like when I stop. Have you heard the classic saying, "I'm too old for that shit." Yeah. Well, that's what I am. I'm too old for that shit. Brooks' that's, dad says that all the time. That's why he just retired. It's like you. So he feels the same. He's like, I can't. He was in trade. He's like, I can't do this shit anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, it, it, I'll, I'll give you an example. It, typical felt, typical supercars is two weeks apart, right? Yeah. So the cars come back Monday morning, mm-hmm. so or Tuesday, depending on how far they've got to come in yeah. the trucks, right? You pull them out of the trucks, pull them all apart. Mm. You do a set down, put them on the scales, check the wheel on it to make sure it is where you thought it was when you raced it. So yeah. you get a set down sheet. Then they pull everything apart that's out of the car that needs lifing. And in my case, all the shock absorbers. So we pull all the shock absorbers out. Yeah. And in BJ's case, between the three or four main game cars and the two or three dev cars, is better. Yeah. In those days before pre-control circus, yeah, there was about 120 shock absorbers. Holy shit. Just so, like- <laughs> so out of that, probably 80 of them are the main game. Yeah. So I dyno every single shock absorber mm-hmm. to make sure it's okay, and I file it. How long does it take to dyno one though? I don't. I don't. I, never, I don't know. Oh, fair while. Yeah. Okay. Take you about two or three days to get through all through, of them. Through really two or yeah. three days to get through all of them. So, yeah. And that is so, that working eight yeah. hours a day or twelve no, hours a day? No, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's not. Motor racing, not normal life. It doesn't matter which team you're in or yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, which category to a fair degree. It's not. Yeah. It's not normal life, right? It's not a normal thirty-eight hour. Mm. job right? yeah. so what when people join the circus as I call it mm. they don't a lot of them don't understand that which is why they don't last very long yeah, if you okay. haven't got a passion for it and a real interest in it you don't need to go near it yeah right so when I say people say well in the old days were really good when that's why I say a lot of them weren't yeah. that closely involved in it right yeah I mean if imagine early 80s for example you go to Bathurst with your Tirana. Mm. Peter Brock will have a totally different Tirana to you because he's got a lot better connections than you've got, right? Yeah. And, and aside from the fact he might have more money, yeah. The, the, the enforcement of the regulations perhaps wasn't as as diligent as it could have been in some ways. Yeah. It's a nice way of putting it, right? Yeah. So a lot of people who went to the motor race then had no hope, mm. right? Now everybody's got an equal vehicle. Yeah. 
like so close it's not funny. If you get enough good people and enough good driver, mm. you'll, you can win the road race, right? And yeah. it, it's witnessed by the fact that if you look at Bathurst, a lot of people win. Yeah. It's not, it's not, I mean, the gears, I personally believe that the gears is like Mark, like Scott McLaughlin and yeah, I Jamie agree. Wincup and a few other people I've come across. He's, he's just a smidgen above the average. He's one in a million, right? You reckon the Giz is one in it, like a one in a million? He's a one in a million. Yeah. The same as Scott McLaughlin was, right? Yeah. And Jamie Wincup clearly was, right? Yeah. You don't win seven championships by being lucky. Mm. Right? You've got to have talent. Not, you know, I had him in a car with me once and I know he's got it. Right? Mm. I saw it the very first day we tried him. It's not like you, you don't have to study it. It's like you hold the stopwatch and it's like, wow. So you work with Van Gisbergen? No. no. Wincup. Oh, Wincup. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like those blokes are. They're not normal people. Like, it just, it's, you, everybody's seen the old, um, you can't believe what he can do in a race car. Yeah. Well, they're that kind of people. Yeah. They're like, the first one I come across was Wynn Percy. Like, when he was in the right psychological mind, I keep saying it, you could leave a wheel off, he'd still go fast. Yeah. Because they just, they've got it. They've just got something that very few people have got. Yeah. And the joke is, they don't know they've got it. They can't understand why everybody else can't do it. Yeah. Like, Jason Richard would be like, I don't know what's wrong with these blokes. I'm like, you don't get it. And he's like, no, I don't. But he's young. He doesn't get it because he hasn't yeah. dealt with various levels of people like I have. Yeah. And it's not like the people are bad. There's just some people that just got that little bit more. Yeah. It's just they got it, you know. It's, Bruce was one of the blokes that had it. Bruce yeah. Conley was a guy who had that little bit more. Right? Yeah. John Smith was a guy who had that little bit more. Mm. You know, like you, you come across them in your course of life, you know. Mm. And not everybody's got that level of talent. It's that simple. Yeah. Van Gisbergen's that good. Oh, my question is: Is there a reason why he like Scotty? He doesn't go overseas, and he's and he's here because you know he seems to he owns the field here. He does rally, he does others. Would you see him going to India or something, or is there something? He's, they he's, just... talk, he's talking about doing something else. I think NASCAR. Yeah, I think yeah. He's, talk, he's talking about that. That's a very hard road to hoe, though, mm. because if you think about Marcus Ambrose, did that didn't he? Yeah, yeah. and it, that was a hard road to hoe because you can't just turn up and have a drive. You've no. got to go through all the feeder categories, mm. so, which means a lot of money and a lot of time. Mm. I, do I think he should do it? Yes, I think he should because he's done all he's going to do here. Yeah. yeah. If he stays, he's going to keep winning. Yeah. Because he's got that bit. Yeah. Well, Bart might take the piss out of it when Brooks there. We're like, oh, SVG is going to win this from the back. You know what I mean? Like he, he could have he literally that bloke can win with one arm. Oh, he did. He, he remember he, he broke, broke his, his ribs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, forget the supercar thing, right? Yeah. Because he doesn't dominantly do it, but he does it, right? Mm. From anywhere almost, doesn't he? Because he's, like I say, he's not 10 seconds better than anybody else. Because a lot of those blokes like Mozzie and that, they're just, they're talented, right? They're yeah. not. He's racing the blokes at the front who are very similar in talent, right? Mm. So, but if you think, he went to the New Zealand Grand Prix, didn't he? Yeah. He ran a Formula Toyota. He started in the pit lane. Yeah. Right? And won the thing, right? Yeah. Like, and that's that's a really restricted category. Yeah. To start in the pit lane, still working on the car and what he's left. Yeah. And then he's gone over and done a rally and he's done something there. Like, yeah, he, he does top, top five or top 10, I think. Yeah. He was on the podium in the class, right? Yeah. He ran a championship race. He was on a, he'd never done a rally in his life here and he was on the podium in some Australian rally championship, wasn't he? Yeah. Like, that's a bloke with a gift, isn't it? Like, yeah. that's not luck. No. And um, rally's a ridiculously hard sport in itself. Yeah, you know it's, what I mean? it's the same. Yeah. The people at the front, of the, they're, they're at the front for a reason because they're good. Yeah. Right? I've got to ask, though, with your son, Rob, he was, as you said, he was good to – Timmy Timmy Beal was good to him. Why did he just decide to not continue it? Did you just say to him, like, it's a lot of money? 
Uh, like from your from a father point of view, born in the wrong family. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, from a father point of view, keep in mind I'm I'm probably paid very well, but I'm still an employee. Yeah. Right? Okay. So I've still only got so much money. I've come from a family with no money. Mm. Like my father bailed out when I was 18 months old, right? Yeah. So my mother worked very hard all the life, right? Mm. Until she was 65 or something, 67. Right? Yeah. And there was never a lot of money, right? Mm. Didn't have a house. You know, we'd, we lived with my grandmother, all that sort of stuff. We had no money, right? Mm. So you're a product of your environment. Mm. So I'm, as Bruce Conley would tell you, a tight ass. Mm. And you I can have a water if you want. No. <laughs> I am a tight ass, right? Yeah. I don't. Don't hide that, and I'm not ashamed of it. Yeah, I don't. You know, if I work in a race team, I don't piss money down the drain. Yeah, you know, like because the money's got to come from somewhere. Somebody's got to. The hardest thing in motor racing, you probably work this out for yourself, is getting the money. Yeah, right? oh, yeah, we're yeah. working so that out real fast. Everything. Somebody's got to get the money, yeah. right? Yeah. So when they've done all that work to get there, you don't piss it down the drain on them. Yeah. Right. So that's my view on it, you know. Yeah, just keep the water bottle there. So I'm not, you know, I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm not a waster of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because I've come through it. But when Rob got to a point where I had some friends tipping in some money, mm. um, but we needed a lot more and it was like I want him to go to university. Like I don't – Mark Scrafe once described me as the most cynical bloke he's ever met. Yeah, okay. Well, the obvious question is Why? Right. Well, I have a, you know, like everybody, I have a view on motor racing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have to find the money if I'm the team owner. So everybody gives team owners a shit canning because they take the bloke with the money over the bloke with the talent. Yeah. That team owner has to find the wages for everybody. Yeah. Has to find the rent, has to turn on the lights, has to run the air conditioning, has to run the truck. Right. Yeah. So he's got a whole different viewpoint to someone sitting on the internet that thinks yeah. they know all about it. Like the latest. Rubbish is Peter Adderton. Yeah. Who's obviously an exceptionally wealthy guy, right? Yeah. Who thinks he should be running motor racing, right? Yeah. Well, everybody that comes along thinks that. So that's nothing unusual. It doesn't make him stand out in the crowd, right? Yeah. But he wants his little license and, well, they shouldn't be, <laughs> people shouldn't be getting licenses if they're just running as a rental car. Well, that's really easy for him to say because he's, he's not going to make enough money out of motor racing to run his race car, is he? He's going to pour boost mobile money in, right? Yeah. But if you say Brad Jones, for example, that is the only industry he's in. Yeah. So he's obviously having a sideways shot at Brad because Brad's, you know, yeah, Brad's running just- cars for other people to make an income yeah. to, to run his business, right? Mm. So this guy thinks for some reason that because he gets money from somewhere else that the people that earn the money in the industry, they shouldn't be able to do that. Mm. So I took exception to that and made a comment about it. Yeah. And I was pretty restrained to what I thought. You can say it here if you want. <laughs> no, I don't do that because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like I got asked by journos about Gen 3 and I'm like, we're not going to talk about it. Oh, that. so you get asked by journos about all that type yeah, of stuff still. And we're not going to talk about that because yeah. i got too many friends in the industry, too many people yeah. and living in the industry and if you're not going to say something nice, maybe just don't, don't say, say it. it at all, yeah. 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 Because, you know, it's, in the end it's still only an opinion. Yeah. And, and as... Brooks found out quickly the motorsport community is a very dense, 
tight community world. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone knows everyone. It is, but that's the same in any industry. You yeah. can say in any yes. industry. Every, I came from film. Everybody knows everyone in film. Like you know, and then you went to. I've been to other marketing industries. And that it just depends where you've been and where you are. Everyone's the same. And it's same. You can say I did Muay Thai. Everyone knows everyone in that sport. It's the same sort yeah. of thing. Exactly. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask as well, you've come from being in the position of being an engineer and that, and being in those roles and then having to be a team manager and then the importance um, I've also seen you talk about of teams and sometimes people don't understand the importance of the pit crew down there and everyone working together. What are the biggest things you've found in the pits that sometimes not just for people who are watching but for people who want to work in them and be there, they have to be aware of that it's not just the driver who's number one or the team owner, that there's a whole crew down there. It's the, uh, the difficult – I actually don't never sort a team manager's job mm-hmm. because it's a business of dealing with people. If you deal with an engineering thing, if, if you say – Say to me, if you put those springs in, what will happen? I can tell you what will happen, right? Mm-hmm. I can even give you a fair idea how much will happen. But people are very different, aren't they? They're different every yeah. day, right, just by the amount of sleep they've had or what happened to at home or what the <laughs> trip to work was like. So dealing with people is much harder, right? And I was a supervisor in a factory and I actually made a point of going on a two-year course of human relations and I didn't do it myself. Mm-hmm. One of the guys who was another supervisor said, we're going on a course, this will do you the world of good. And he was right. He was really... Like I said before, I was influenced by a lot of people, mm. people you would never heard of, right? This yeah. guy was a guy called Colin Buchanan who may or may not be dead by now, I don't know. But he, yeah. but he was the supervisor at this electric motor factory, but it was it was very good advice because what it taught you to do was look at people and understand how to deal with them. And in that case, it was in supervision electric motor factory, right? Mm-hmm. But it's people are the same in terms of dealing with them. They're, you know... If you hang around with me for a while, you'll see I have a lot of snipes at management people. Yeah. Right? And it's not that – it's like racing drivers. Good ones are good. They're mm. not all good. Yeah. Right? And management people are the same. And it'll be like in any industry. Everybody's heard of Peter's theory, mm. I assume, where you get promoted up to the point of incompetence. Mm. Right? Well, I wouldn't say it's an incompetence thing, but motor racing people tend to be managed by people who've grown up in the motor racing area. The fact that you understand how to make a race car work doesn't mean you understand how to make people work. Yes. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Right? Yeah. So I've never sought a team management role because I know how difficult it is to make people work and keep them all happy because there are, and I just went through it to a degree, but and I ended up with a job because I'm the most experienced guy, mm. right? And they were have an engineer guy anyway who works with them in dev, right? So there's no point in me step aside saying, let me show you how to do it. That's not going to win a lot of friends or influence a lot of people. He's not going to learn anything. And, again, I'm probably the best bloke for the job. So I've got the commercial guy who's frowned up the money, which is, as you know, I believe is the hardest part. Mm. He thinks the whole show should run like he wants, right? Yeah. Why don't you do this? You're the team manager. I'm like, calm down, right? Because he doesn't know all the other bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. But I know exactly how it all works because that's that is my bit, right? Yeah. So then you get the guy doing the stickers on the car saying, What the bloody waste of time this is, you know? Mm. Like, no, you don't understand. This is really important because that's what they're paying for, right? Mm. The same as, you know, we'll have a strip chat to the troops. So I line them up and say, Okay, I could go on for three days, but the most important thing is you are now wearing someone else's name. Mm-hmm. They've paid a lot of money. They do not pay it for bad publicity. They yeah. pay it for good publicity. So if you're gonna get drunk, mm take your clothes off first, right? Do yeah. not drag Caltex into the mud. 
Yeah. It's not what they're in it for. They're helping us promote young people and they're doing, you know, they don't have to. Mm. They're out of the, you know, it's going to fit with their marketing in some form. Mm. Do not poop on these people, right? Yeah. Because they're being very good to us. Yeah. Do not bite the hand that feeds you, in other words, right? Yeah. But unless they, you make them think about it, they won't connect that. They won't connect the dots. And none of those blokes would have gone to try and get money, right? Mm. So they won't realise how important that guy is because they never see him. All they see is this guy nagging him about all sorts of stuff, right? Mm. So as far as they're concerned, he's a pain in the ass. whereas I see him as the next best thing to Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. Because I know how clever he must be to do that, right? Mm. So in that role, then I've got to, you know, he wants me to tell the engineer how to do it. I'm like, no, no. This bloke's doing the job. Let him do his job. If he runs a muck, I'll chip him. But until he does that, let him do the job the way he sees fit. Mm. Because you start in trying to tell him how to do it. It's like me saying, well, you don't know what you're doing. Mm. He, he knows who I am. He knows what I'm capable of. Because they've worked with him years ago at Brad's. He was our engine guy, right? So it's it's a connection. But he's he's doing a reasonable job. So there's no point in me. You know, I said to him a few times, this is your grandfather. Maybe I'd try this, right? Mm. So if you look at the posts on social media, he refers yeah. to me as granddad, right? Yeah. Because that's what I said. Imagine this is your grandfather just giving him some advice, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, again, I try and keep that to absolute bare minimum because no matter how you say it, it sounds like you don't know what you're doing, let me tell you. Because that's what they'll hear no matter how you, no matter what words you use, mm. it's very difficult. You, you need to go about it the right way. And that's, if you want the best out of people, tell them they're donkeys, is not going to, that doesn't do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you're the team manager, your job is there to make them better. If you've got a problem, good, let me solve it for you, you know? Yeah. And I was the bloke who understood the rule book the best because for 30 years that's what I had a living using, right? Yeah. So that was my major job. I made sure that we opened the doors on time, didn't open too early, no, 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 right? Mm. End up the, you know, don't get, because supercars, as you know, they don't muck around with $2 fines. Yeah. I don't think you've got a fine in the book that's less than five grand. Yeah. And that's if you cough in a meeting almost, you know. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's they, they don't muck around. They, they, and they, they don't play favourites. Yeah. They do it for everybody, right? I was joking around on social media as you saw the other night with, with the money for the prize money. How you, you don't, how you know, you don't make money in, oh, I forgot the status that I wrote. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you said how, how do you make, make a, money in motorsport? How you make said a small you don't. Fortune. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Fortune, yeah. You don't, right? Yeah. Um, that was because of a lot of people saying, I think I was just talking to Justin Ruji when I interviewed you at the, in the pits. Um, there's no prize money for – is there prize money in supercars? Or I not? don't believe there is, no. Okay. Somebody asked – put it this way, in all the stuff I read, because mm. when you're going back to work mm. at that size show, yeah. that much money and those people involved, you have to reread the rule book one into the other. Yeah. Right? If you've ever read the supercars rule book, it's perhaps not as explicit and easy to read as you might first expect. Right? Yeah, okay. So if you haven't done it before, it's – Virtually impossible. If you have done it before, it's not far from it. Mm. Impossible, right? So, it and a lot of the people that work there mm. are really helpful. Some of them are not as helpful as they could be. Yeah. Like when I ask a question, the bloke says to me, "Go and read the sup regs," and I'm like, <laughs> "Well, you don't think I have like yeah. ten yeah. times already?" Yeah. Yeah. You know, like someone like me who asks you that question, there's a reason. But the bloke was too dopey to work out. I was, you know. I'm looking for some clarification here. I was yeah. going to say, do they just not on it even understand what you're asking themselves? But he didn't even bother to ask what I was yeah, on about. He they're just, just palming it off. Read the yeah. sub regs, and I'm like, right. Yeah. But you and have I thought they make a war. Just 
one race meeting, just let it go. Mm. And, you know, like normally I would have just unloaded into the dope, like don't you think I've read them already? Yeah. And pointed out where they were wrong. Yeah. But I, no, just work around it. Just don't let it go. For the sake, for sake of one, let it go, you know. But is there a reason they make them so hard to understand for everybody? <sighs> no, it's not that. It's They've got to cover every possible okay. solution. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind there's 25 cars where the bikes like me trying to find a way around them. Yeah, okay. Right? <laughs> 24 hours a day. Yeah, yeah. there's been many, many years so, it's been and there. It, yeah. And it's like back to the pick and the fly shit out of the pepper, mm. right? Mm-hmm. They're trying to head that off. Yep. And some are actually... <sighs> The original rule book, well, it's progressed many years since then. Mm-hmm. I was actually laying on my back, getting a parathyroid gland out of my throat, North Royal North Shore Sand Hospital, right? Mm. And I got sent a, a set of original supercar rules to read through and I read through them and the word may occurred in a lot of places. They may do this, they may do that, right? That and was the, in the rule book? Yes. With the word may? Yes. Okay. Right. Yeah, right. So, so, yeah. You were, so your ears went up like mine did, right? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, well, hang on. <laughs> think, of, think of the kind of people that made a race because yeah. they're, they're yeah. pretty competitive sporting people. Yeah. yeah. And you leave a loophole that puts the stewards that, that for example, um, uh, if you have a tyre problem and you want to get another tyre, you may have to start from the rear of the grid, mm-hmm. right? And it's like... So I said to this guy, who was a QC, like it wasn't written by a dope, right? Mm. The word may, you can get rid of it. He said, no, no, no. I understand where you're coming from exactly and I know why you're coming from it. He said, but just think of something we haven't thought of. Maybe think of something we haven't thought of. And he Mm. said, we need to give those stewards a little bit of room to work because we do not need justice to go the wrong way. Yeah. And I'm like, hmm, okay. And... Well, then I've been playing the game a long time. Keep in mind, I've been motor racing since 1972 mm. right, in one form or another, right? And I couldn't think of an instance where that happened. But last December, I went to Bathurst to help a f- son of a friend yeah. who used to work for Peter Malloy and worked for Johnny Goss, and he's a friend of the bloke who does Bruce's Formula Ford engines, right? Yeah. Luke King, though. Yeah, his oh, dad. Luke, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yep. So... Luke had an unfortunate situation where they put too much slime on the tyres and the tyres spun on the rims in qualifying, right? Yeah, well, oh. Not Luke's fault. No. Right? We lucky we didn't end up with a car rolled into a ball, a massive pile of damage, right? Yeah. So we sort that out with the Michelin guys and they agree that's their problem. Da, 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 da. So then it comes to the fact now we've got two buggered brand new tyres. Yeah. So the performer sent a guy goes in the stewards and they read the book. No, no, you've got stuff in the mouth. I said, no, no. <laughs> No, you don't have to. Mm. And that was the first time in my life I'd come across something yeah. where that applied. But at least this guy who'd done it, yeah. God knows when, 1980-something, yeah. had thought about it, was actually right. He'd left because something happened that wasn't Luke's fault, yeah. right? And it wasn't anyone else's. It was just one of those things. But he didn't deserve to get a penalty over it, did he? Yeah. He already got a penalty. Yeah. Through no fault of his own by them buggering the tyre fitting, right? Yeah. And they didn't do it deliberately, right? But just that's what, by circumstance, that's how it worked. Yeah. So I asked the Melbourne Performance Centre guy, Troy, to go back down to, no, no, the word may, this is why it's there, mm. believe it or not. And he went back and fortunately they saw it our way, mm. right? So it was like I went a long, long time before that happened, didn't mm. The Michelin guy said to me, I heard you were really fiery, but you seem really calm. So, yeah, three or four years of retirement will do that for you. Yeah. For a start. I said, but like, 
I'm not the kind of guy who's going to fly into you for something I've never seen in my life. Mm. I said, you think of all the teams I've been with, all the tyre contracts I've had, all the tyre tests I've done, mm. I've never seen that. I, yes, they move, right? Yeah. Everybody understands the tyre creeps around the rim. That's not a problem. Yeah. Right? That's why they don't balance race tyres normally. Mm. I said, but I've never seen them do that ever mm. in my life, right? And he was like, mm. so I said, I'm not going to get off my bike. Do it to me again tomorrow. It'll be a different story. Yeah. Right? But I wouldn't. Tearing like what happens to television people rush down to me and what do you think what happened I, when I saw what happened they give you a perfect slow mo right yeah I still got on my phone yeah, yeah right but again I wasn't going to shit can what effectively is a sponsor in the in the yeah, industry yeah yeah with the mission for tire. something that one they didn't personally do mm. and secondly won't be deliberate mm. it's not in their interest to do that is it right yeah. we just happened to be unlucky Luke was the fastest guy that put that pressure on the tyre, but two other people had the problem. Yeah. We weren't the only ones. We were just the ones that were going the hardest and had the most consequences. Yeah. The other guy had it. I saw the smoke come out of the tyres and he went straight through the gravel trap at the chase mm. and pressed on. And I, I look, I mean, that normally happens if a caliper seal fails. Yeah. You get that whiff the smoke. Yeah. But both sides are never going to fail both at the same time. Yeah, Especially right. in qualifying because they haven't been hot yet. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, and I was just thinking, well, then Luke arrives and the same thing happens. I'm like, yeah, bloody hell. And they did perfect slow-mo. Yeah. And you can see that the, the wheel stopped, mm. the tyres turning. But Luke didn't know. He said, I've just had a brake failure. I'm like, no, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I remember that. So I'll tell you when you come back. Yes. Yeah. Not your fault. Nothing to do with you. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it really, again, yes, it was a mistake by somebody, but not deliberate. Yeah. And I'm guessing they'd never seen it before either, you know. Mm. They're just making sure they don't break the tyres. That's all they're doing. Yeah. We were, we were talking about um, Jason Richards before. What was it like working with him, though? Because you were saying, obviously, Wincarp, um, Van Gisbergen, you know, Johnny I, I Smith. I can tell you. What was, it, what was it him working with him differently to, say, Wincups? You know what I mean? When you were working I didn't Tasman. work with Jamie very long. Yeah. Right? Jamie was at Tasman only a short time, and I was Jason's engineer at the time. Yeah. Jamie ended up at Tasman because we tested him as a co-driver at Oran Park one day. Mm. And it was like instant, like, sign him up now. Yeah. Sign him up now. But, again, I don't have to find the money. Mm. So by various circumstances, I end up with Fabian Coulthard. Mm. Although Jamie was faster to, to keep the team alive, they may have to choose a different person. And not that Fabian's bad. No. Right? But Jamie was that better, I thought, right? Yeah. Next year when they were going to run two cars, then I lobbied very hard to run Jamie. Yeah. Not... Fabian, it's not because I dislike Fabian. I've got a lot of time for Fabian. Mm. But if you want speed, in my opinion, Jamie was a poof think better. Mm. Right? So I lobbied for that and ended up with him. Right? Yep. And Gary Rogers asked me virtually straight away with the Grand Prix, which I don't think then was the first meeting of the year. Yeah. Right? And he said, you must have seen something in that bloke that I didn't because Gary had flung him, right? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. He got rejected by Gary Rogers. And I yeah. said, no, Gary, I think you're the best talent scout in the pit lane. Yeah. I'm sure that you saw exactly what I saw. You see it from a whole different point of view to me. Mm. You're a multimillionaire who doesn't take no shit from no one. Mm. I'm a race engineer who just needs a fast driver. I know how important that bit is, right? Yeah. And without it, I'm wasting my time. And what I saw was a bloke with a gift, mm. right? And that's why I lobbied so hard to get him. I, was, I said, why did you... Get rid of him. He said, oh, he's a bit precious, a bit this and a bit that. We never had that problem. Yeah. So either the rejection knocked it out of him mm. or they were a little oversensitive, I don't know. Mm. But I'm 
that bit you do need that the Gizzer's got and he's got and a few other people got. Yeah. I'll put up with anything for that. Yeah. When Jason Richards' case, he had it, right? Yeah. He he was at least as gifted as Jamie, right? So yeah. we tried him at Winton at the same day. We swapped cars so there was no, oh, his car's better than my shit. I mm. swap over twice within a tenth. Yeah. Nothing in it, right? Yeah. Jason was marginally quicker, but that's, if you went to Sando, it might be the other way around, mm. right? So a tenth is nothing. Mm. So it proved both cars were the same, both blokes were the same, basically. Mm. Jason was, to me, he spoiled me from any, nearly anybody else mm. because he was just easy. Yeah. He was very self-critically, worked very hard at data. You know, when, when you talk about people reading data, the best bloke to read data is a driver. Yeah. And, and a good one, and Jason was a good one. Mm. He'll show you where every squiggly line goes and why it goes there. No, don't worry about that because I did this. Mm. And you go back, look and do the data. Yep, sure as shit, and he was right. And like that's one lap out of fifty, and he remembers exactly what happened at that corner. Yeah, right. right. And and those blokes are that good. Yeah, they literally are. You know, like yeah, and they don't know that. Yeah, they can't understand why balls can't do it. Yeah, we just. Do you they think it's just a thing that they have, like some yeah. athletes have that exactly. they'll always just have it, and others just yeah. that you can't, do. You think there's some that could work their ass off to get to that, or it's just something you just have to have that special thing? No, you've got to have it. Yeah, it's just. I mean. They're, it's just in them. They've got it. They're born with it, you know. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can foster along a bit. I'm sure from when Jamie left Tasman and went to Triple Eight, they mm. fostered him along a bit, but he had it when he got there. Yeah. Mm. He had the lap record at Adelaide with the Tasman car mm. before he ever went to Triple Eight. Yeah. So he, he already had the business. Like I, like I spoke to Roland because we're in the Jamie Pits of Bathurst, so I had a few conversations with Roland when we were there. Yeah. And he quizzed me a bit about Jamie. Mm. And I, I told him that story. I said, well, what I saw was, well, within 10 laps at Oran Park, I'm like, sign him up, sign him up now. Yeah. <laughs> Hit Oran from looking for a co-driver where you got one that's as fast as the main driver, yeah. sign him up now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like this is an opportunity that not to be missed, but yeah. they didn't at the time. Yeah. And But the next year when they were talking about running two cars, I was back on the same tram. Yeah. And fortunately I had a bit of help from Ronnie Harrop who knew Graham and like who raced the sports in and Jamie's uncle. Right? Yeah. So I had a bit of lobbying help from him so that Jamie got over the line into Tasman that way. Yeah. So that's how we So t- Jamie essentially didn't come from much money then is what no, so happened at all. No, not – oh, I mean, he I don't know. He, he, we would have like obviously a bit because of his car racing, but he didn't have as much funds as some other drivers. But you thought, you know what, if I go with him, he, he can get yeah, the I, most out of his career at this point. I, I, he just had it. Yeah. He was already showing that he had the business like it was yeah. – I mean, he must, he must have had a certain amount of backing to get that far – because mm. he'd won Formula Ford racing and those sorts of stuff when it was still a pretty competitive thing. You know? yeah, yeah. It was the main test mm. of competitiveness. So he he got that far. For Gary to pick a guy up, they're not donkeys. Gary Rogers is, if you look at his track record, mm. is one of the best talent scouts in the pit lane. Yeah. I mean, he's probably not that interested anymore, mm. but he's, the track record says everything. Like Garth mm. Tander, Jason Barguana, yeah. Jamie Wincup, like how many, they, they don't come along every day. Yeah. Know, right? But has, did Gary, when he left, did, was that because he just had enough or was that just because of a sponsorship fallout? I don't fully understand. Because he could have still continued to go on or did he just decide to jump into the ARG thing? Do you know what I mean? Did I he just want to challenge? I I've never spoken to him about it. Okay. I've never spoken to him about it. I saw him at Darwin. The last time I saw him was at Darwin. Mm. And I actually went fishing. Yep. But it coincided with the race meeting because the people I 
go fishing with, which is Wayne Hoyle and Fuchs yeah. and Steve Reed, they want to go to the race meeting. Yeah. I don't particularly want to go that time of year because the fishing's not that good. Yeah, this is Steve Reed who used to race Steve yeah, Reed. Yes, yeah, Lansvale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So they were – I went then because happily the race meeting numbers were going fishing. Yeah. Right? But I've since explained to them that's not the best time to go fishing, so now we go fishing at a different time of the year. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, right. I didn't not go for the race meeting, but I – I'm on while I'm there. I'm going to go and visit a few. I didn't. I didn't go Sunday. I went Saturday. Yeah, visit a few people. So yeah, and Gary Rogers, one of them, because I quite like Gary. I think he's been yeah. a very good contributor to the sport. Mm. Do you and, still? And do he's you, a pretty straight sort of guy. He doesn't feed any shit. Yeah, we were talking about Bruce like ages ago. Do you see the Formula Ford Festival in the UK and the Walter Hayes still as a big thing though? Like it still can produce talent if it was spotted right. I know it's changed a lot since. Then and now. I think the problem with motor racing generally is right now, mm. talent is a bonus. You need a lot of money. Yeah, okay. So I think, and keep in mind, that's always been the case, right? Mm. Always, but it's more extreme now than it was. Yeah. I think there's a lot of industry sprung up around motor racing and rental cars. Yeah. You know, like, although I'm giving Adam and a flogging over it, mm. in some ways he's quite right. Mm. But the angle I was going at him from wasn't that it was – People had to derive money somewhere. Yeah. He yeah. happens to be fortunate that he's very clever at some stuff and he's got a lot of money. Yeah. So he, he can fund his motor racing externally. Some people can't do that. Yeah. Right? Because that's not the industry they've chosen to be in. Yeah. I would suggest to you that to survive in the motor racing industry, you would be need to be very, very, very clever. Yeah. Because you think getting money for it's hard. Try getting money and running a team. Yeah. I think that's what Zach Brown talked about along the weekend when they interviewed him, about it being a commercial aspect. And he said a lot of the teams in F1 keep looking short-sightedly at just, he said, short little wins, short little technical, and they will not look at the big picture of the... Um, the longevity. The longevity and looking at the commercial aspect and how you keep this sport running. And that mm. was his argument that he's seeing in the sport at the moment. And he's trying to see it from a much longer picture. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they've got a few problems to solve, and I'm not sure... I'm glad I'm not the bloke who's been charged <laughs> with solving them because I can't see how you're going to, Yeah, basically. Was there a reason back, uh, just going back when, because Dan just brought up um, the Formula Fords, when you were, like, younger and you were racing them and then you were doing your career as and going towards engineering, was there a reason why you went to work into tin tops and not go down the open wheeler path? Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure if there was opportunity <laughs> travelling overseas that where it be was. That's camera now. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just... <laughs> got to earn a living. I had yeah. a wife and two children. Oh, no, no. I right. meant being an engineer and working an open wheeler. Um, just, yeah, it's money. Yeah, money. okay, yeah. yeah. Just, I mean, I actually was an open – it was engineering open wheelers that got dragged me into tin tops. Okay, yeah. In, in most ways. The yep. first – the very first bit where I got dragged in the Lansvale thing yep. was a fellow called Dave Kelly who was actually the data guy but up there this week at Bathurst mm. right, a week ago. And he, he used – he was a – Working at Lansvale, he was their mechanic, right? And they, they got a car off a guy called Ken Matthews and it didn't perform very well, right? Mm-hmm. And they were all walking around in circles wondering why it wasn't going. And yeah. he said, well, there's a bloke over the other side of the railway line, which was like just here at Enfield, right? Yeah. In Sydney. So the bloke over there and his Formula Fords are always winning. Why don't we go and get him? Mm-hmm. Right? And they, I didn't know them. They'd never met me. Yeah. They were literally only a kilometre as a crow flies from where I was, right? Mm-hmm. So they come around. They said, oh, well, you know, we're thinking about we'd like to go to Bathurst with us and so on. I'm like... Like I'd been, I never yeah, exactly how much yeah. work's involved, right? Yeah. They'd been camping with a bunch of mates from the car club. That's a whole different ball game to work on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So 
Um, and I'm like, yeah, okay, it's cost you two and a half grand. And Paul Trevor just about fainted, right? <laughs> and he's like, oh, fuck. how about fifteen hundred? How about you go back out where you come from? <laughs> and he's like, what? I said, look, mate, I know what I'm in for. You yeah. don't, right? So I've already booked accommodation down at Imidabel for the opening of the trout season. Yeah. So I've got knocked out on that. That's probably going to lose that for a start. There's a couple hundred bucks. And I know what I'm in for at Bathurst. It's no fun. It's not fun for me. It's work and, and endless work, right? Yeah. Anyway, they went out in the car. He and Steve went out in the car. Saturday, I talked about coming in. Okay, deal's done, right? Mm. And Trevor, to his credit, after the race, he said, man, that's the best value I've ever had. Yeah. He said, that was money's worth spent, right? Yeah. So I said to him, if, if you're not impressed, I'll be surprised because I don't think I'm going to make too much money out of this job, right? Yeah. It's like there's a lot of work to do with this car. It's not that fast. And we made the car a lot better. Much nicer to drive. I learned a lot about touring cars, mm. learned about how to read homologation papers and how lousy they were at scrutineering yeah. and all that sort of jam, what other people were doing mm. and sort of shit. I learned a lot and it stood me in pretty good stead for a long time. But also, it, 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 like, they were like, wow, how much better is this thing? Yeah. Like, so, but I, yeah, keep in mind, I test driven a lot of race cars by then. Mm. Like, I think before I, that was probably about the end of my driving cars to test them mm. life and that was, I think about that, probably about early 80s, 85, 86, somewhere about there, yeah, right. mid-80s. Um, I sort of stopped driving cars when I went to HRT. I just started working off information. Mm. But for a long time I used to drive them because cut out the middleman. Yeah. You know, like yeah. if it's happening too fast for a guy, he's not going to be able to tell you what's going on with the car anyway. Mm. He's going to tell you what, what he's what he's doing and as a reaction to what the problem is, not necessarily what the problem is. That so that's sense. kind of what I do with Bart and then Bart has to, well, lucky I've got Julian there who's a good, good young engineer, Julian Peruzic, right? But he has to work out them because I'm telling Bart as a driver and a driver yeah. coach, right? And then yeah. I've got Julian's kind of like trying to decipher and same with Bart because he's got the engineering. It's kind of, it's what you're saying. It's kind of hard to. Yeah, it takes a while to, to get up the, yeah. to tune in the wavelength. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a five minute thing yeah. to understand and it's, you know, there is a certain psychology involved, which I, I try and try and leave to the driver, but it is important. Because you know? mm. what I've learnt from Bart, as you said, with your engineering thing, is learning about more so the car than the driver. Do you know what I mean? That's why I'm a. That's why people are saying, "Oh, Dan, you're a better driver now." But that's because Bart's put into me in my head. You got to learn about. You got to learn learn about the car yes. and about yourself. You, you, you know need I mean? to learn what you're looking for, why you're looking for it, mm. and also. You need to be able to drive it to the point where it's not happening too fast for you. Yeah. That you can put a certain amount of brain aside and analyze why you're doing what you're doing. Mm. Not, why did I do why did I come out of the throttle there? Why did I turn the steam well that way? Why did I, you know, yeah. Why do I turn at the rate I do, for example? Why mm. why am I, you know, why have I got the brake balance where I have if I you know, mm. if I learn at the back, I might be able to make it steer better. I might not have to then heave on the steam well. There's a million Mm. Little bits and pieces to learn that you know mm. it's easy if you've got data because you look through it, but it's not the data you need to find out why the bloke did it, mm. what's the reason. Yeah. And that's why I always say the driver's the best bloke to read the data because he knows why he did why the squiggly lines go where they do because mm. he's made them go there. Yeah, the, the squiggly lines are a history lesson, they're not, yeah. they're not predictive, they're reactive. Yeah, yeah, you know, this is what happened, it's not. This is why it happened, which is what you need to know. You need to know why it happened, not what happened. 
Yeah, that's that what Bart's always looking at with you. Like he looks at, for example, an example is his feet. Why is certain reactions happening? Then looking at then the fitness of the feet, and then mm. going by, and then asking Dan, well, what do you think you're doing? Because it's your body, and yeah. trying to understand. See, I've got then. flat feet, so he's trying to work oh, out yeah. my flat feet, and and my feet doesn't want to. I don't. I can't heel you toe can't properly. Heel toe yeah. Properly. yeah. Mm. So my 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 foot literally just stops. I could just jam. Keep in mind, I don't do that either. Mm. I do both sides of my foot. Yeah, I actually don't put my heel over. I'd heel and toe for me just not as a misnomer. So when you were racing, did you heel and toe, or did you just drive like, like I did both sides of my foot? Okay, I might find fussy about height, the pedal height. Yeah, because I want to be able to break. Then just if oh, I get it. I don't then, blip it right. Yeah, I just lean on because if you blip it, you end up with the spikes in the brake pressure. Which yeah, is, makes more action, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but what I'm you, doing. If you get the pedals in the right place. You don't need to go brum, brum. You just yeah. need to go. Yeah, right. Like you only need to bring the engine up speed up to wherever you're going with the gear. You don't need a brum. Yeah. You need a yeah. Oh, so it's more me? calmer. Yes. You can slide your foot across then, can't you? Yeah. You know what I mean? Just slide your foot off the off the brake onto the throttle or vice versa. Mm. With me? Mm. i got I got to ask because we've been here talking for a lovely chat, by the way. <laughs> good. Um, before we end this podcast, well, I've got to ask, because you worked with Wayne Gardner, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, yeah and yeah. he was a, obviously a world motorcycle champion and MotoGP's on this weekend and yada, yeah. yada, yada. Um, but what was it like engineering him from motorcycle, obviously you raced cycles like with Elwin and, and Bruce to changing him to a car? Because he was quite competitive in the, in, the, in the supercar ranks. Do you know what I mean? Like It's... it's- Wayne has got the ability. Mm. Right? He's got the gift, yeah. clearly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A supercar yeah. would be a walk in the park, like yeah. walking your dog down the beach mm. compared to a bloody 500cc two-stroke, wouldn't it? Like, yeah. It's just it's like if you've ever seen the bike, it's tiny. It looks like a 125. Yeah. So to think you're going to jam 180 horsepower on this thing and ride it, Yeah, it's, it's mind-boggling. But um, – he was very talented, but he was also probably overly self-sure of his ability to make a car work. Mm. So he would quite often drag you off into something, you know, like, and it tries your patience a bit because, you know, we've done this already, you know, like yeah, we've come to a conclusion here, let's move to the next bit yeah, sort of thing. So, Oh, would he fascinate over one part really? Is that what we were in park one day and we're moving the front ride height up and down mm. a quarter of a turn. Yeah. Right. On a strut car, that's a reasonable tune, but a quarter of a turn is probably a bit like Justin Deck chairs on the Titanic. You probably need a good <laughs> three quarters of a turn, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was going up and down, up and down. I'm getting all this. I'm like, <laughs> and a guy, a guy who now, if you look on the internet, you'll find a real, real seats. Yeah. This is a guy called Vaughan Cartwright. He's in England. He, make, he does seat paws. Yeah. Right? But he makes fruit seat frames and CNCs around there. Mm. Anyway, he was chief mechanic and he could so you get over this. I said, Look, for a start, you only need to go up and down twice, and you've come to a conclusion. It's like 10 times the start and wear me down. Yeah. Like, test day is an expensive thing to do. Like, times, it's common to everybody. Yeah. All sorts of people got all different amounts of money, but they only still get 24 hours in a day, right? Yeah. So, you don't need to waste time on something you already just did. Right? Yeah. Okay, we've done it twice. I quite often do this thing two or three times if I'm not sure, right? Mm. So don't misunderstand. I don't do it once and I know. If I'm not sure, I'll quite often go backwards and forwards a couple of times if it's a simple one to be sure. Okay. Yeah, it's a story. Right, I move along. Yeah. But this was going on for a while, right? And he's like, you don't think you can taste that? I said, I think it's probably a little bit over the top, yeah. Yeah. 
So then we went to Bathurst for a touring car round mm. and the same guy put 100, pound, um, 100 newtons too much for your spring. Yeah. Right? And so instead of having 650s, we had 1200s in the back or something like that, right? Yeah. And like we're having a debrief and he's calling me and like, what, what? He said, uh, the rear springs are the wrong ones. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I said to the chief, um, is it a bit taily or anything? And he's like, oh, maybe a little bit. Like yeah. this is twice as much rear spring rate, right? Yeah. This is not. Oh, that's because he's used this to is the not, bikes. This is, it's not 650 to 700. This is 650 to 1200. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? This is. Yeah. Pretty, it's a very, very different. We had springs in 25 pound increments, right? It, yeah. Keep in mind, we weren't long ago adjusting the front right up and down a quarter of a turn. Yeah. So I'm like, hmm. Yeah. And I was, you know. So I, I said so it was different. And this guy said to me, but so he thought it was maybe a smidge entirely, just mm. put the right ones back in now. Yeah. And he's like, You didn't tell him. I'm like, Well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it, and like next session he said, Oh, it's a little bit better. Yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so Yeah. Muffy's is his nickname, Stud Muffin, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, You didn't pick it? And I'm like, Well, you picked it. After I prodded him, but he didn't say how the debrief. Christ, this thing's that Taylor can't deal with it, yeah. which it must have been. Yeah, oh, he just he just he just drove used, around it. Used to riding this animal. Yeah, right. He just deal with it, don't you? Yeah. I mean, on a bike, there's nothing you can do much relatively. Mm. Once you're on there, it's like wow. You mm. know? I mean, he's clearly world champion and he's talented. Yeah. I mean, you think of all the guys who started riding motorbikes mm. to rise to the top. Mm. It's not a bad trick, is it? Yeah, I mean, but so. then you, you get you get guys like Gardner, then Casey Stoner, who tried supercars, and he just it was it just because he couldn't get the hang of it, or was it just a different beast? Oh, by the time it's yeah, I get the generation things, of cars have things, changed. Things have evolved yeah. a lot, but yeah, he might not adapt to it quite as well. Yeah, and just keep in mind, the Ducati, as bad as it was, might not have been nowhere near the animal Honda was. Yeah, like yeah, Ducatis are known to well back then they were as you, known to be dogs. Yeah, right? yeah. He's probably the only bloke to win a world championship on one until recently. Yeah. Right? And obviously they're good now because everybody wants one, right? Yeah. But at that stage, they certainly weren't. Plenty of people tried afterwards and kept falling down the road, didn't they? Yeah. Sort of thing. Rossi so, jumped on one too, couldn't he? He couldn't get the hang of it, Valentino yeah, Rossi, yeah. Exactly. So clearly they weren't easy, but yeah, probably things have evolved a long way since then. Who knows? Like some people adapt to other things better than others. Yeah. My personal experience with bike riders, like motorbike riders generally, is they adapt pretty easy. Mm. Like I ran a Formula Ford guy who used to race Moto GP yeah, in yeah. whatever it was called those days, yeah. a bike called Dave Stanley. Yep. And in a Formula Ford, he should have won the championship. Mm. We had a couple of hiccups, but he should have won it. He was clearly mm. the best bloke. Right? And he, he was he was quite an old guy. He was 40. Yep. And he, but he was very calm. Like he's like, oh, yeah. Is this national or state? It was oh national God. series. Okay, and he was yeah. 40 at yeah. the time. Yeah, okay. Is there something that the bikes teach that the cars don't, that's why they can adapt easy? I think you can live on the ragged edge a lot easier. Yeah. Sort of thing, I don't know. I mean, sometimes Wayne got sucked into some things that you wouldn't think he would, like oil on the road, like you'd think with a bike rider that was yeah sudden death. Mm. But other times he was very perceptive, you know. Yeah, like, Mm. I mean, it's like there's a lot happening and it happens pretty quick and they certainly don't have any trouble with it happening too quick for them. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I'm, I'm sure they're used to a lot more forward planning because mm. a bike doesn't react. And what's worse if you make it react, you're on the road yeah. before you can do anything about it, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure there's a certain amount more mental thought mm. goes yeah. into riding a bike. Like, 
especially that kind of bike, but any bike. Switches you know? the brain on, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we've learned a lot and we could literally have other episodes. <laughs> I just have one question. We, we had some young um, uh, people we met at Bathurst who are all up and coming um, engineers. They were interning there um, in mechanics and engineering. Do you have any advice for the ones coming through in today's time and wanting to get into the motorsport industry, whether it's some were saying they wanted to be here in supercars, eventually some in F1 Indy, um, or is there something that they really – is there advice also that they should just watch out for, prepare for? Is it knowing what to expect from drivers? Is it something on the job that they need to be aware of? You need to be aware of the fact that you will have to give everything of yourself, mm-hmm. everything. There will be no other life, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you go into Formula One or you go anywhere else, like <sighs> there is nothing left. Like that mm-hmm. is your life. There is no yep. other life, right? Mm. And and you won't be overpaid. So unless you want to do it bad and want to be involved in it, do something different. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's that simple. Really, like my son doesn't do it. Yeah, and it's not because he wouldn't be capable. Mm. Yeah, it's just that he got offered jobs from various places and he got offered very little money. Mm. Like, and he's the first bloke in our family ever go to university, right? Yeah, and I'm pretty proud of that. And yeah. he certainly didn't waste his time. What did yeah. he study there? Uh, engineering. Yep. Okay. Um, he now works with the defence contractor. Mm-hmm. The last project was a guided missile defence system for ships. Oh, wow. Yep. Uh, which they've sold to America and a few other places. And the current one, I don't know. It's involved five months of security clearance. Yep. And I deliberately don't ask him. Yeah, I understand. Because yep. do I need to know? No, I don't need to know. Does he know I'm interested in it? Of course he knows I'm interested <laughs> in it, right? Yeah. So, but it just puts him on a spot. It's like when Dave Couchy who's a very good friend, was working at Triple Eight. I don't talk to him about race car stuff because yeah. it's a breach of confidence. Yeah, I understand. Like the yeah. first thing that Ludo says to me when he when he takes couch, he oh, you're sending me a spy, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not sending you a spy. <laughs> and then I get rolling 15 minutes later. Oh, you got the spy in the camp anyway. <laughs> like you don't think Gary Bailey knows enough or what? Yeah, yeah, right. Like I know plenty of people who work there already. It's not like it's the first one. Yeah. yeah. Sort of thing. So, yeah. So my advice is, yeah, be sure you really want to do it badly mm. because it, you have to be 100%. Like like when I first went to HRT, fortunately the blokes that worked for me then are still my friends, right? Mm. Yeah. But, man, we worked. We worked hard. Like, yeah. Like we worked like a fellow Adam up was 140 hours a week. Mm. Yeah. Right? Like I pulled up at a set of lights on Fern Tree Gully Road and I actually went to sleep. I wake up, this bloke was tooting at me and I'd crept out because it was an automatic. I crept yeah. out the middle of the intersection. Oh, this wow. bloke was oh, wow. pulled up at my door. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is an 80K zone mm. both yeah. ways. And I like, I, I didn't know where I was when I woke up. Yeah. Holy shit, yeah. So it's like, you know, like we had friends over the road from where we were, the house we had, right, mm. and they were school teachers and they'd seen Lynn and Rob and Catherine, mm. didn't know who I was. Yeah. So she said, can you have Sunday off because we're going over the road to a barbecue one. Mm. Oh, yeah. So I declared a lay day and they're looking at me, a bit, the, the, the husband, and he's looking at me a bit odd and he's like, hmm. what's up? And he said, who are you? And I said, I'm the husband and the father. Yeah. I think I am. And he's like, where do you live? I'm like, it's down the hill there, over the road. And he's like, you come home? I said, yeah, pretty much every day except when we go away to race meeting. Yeah. <laughs> I, this was six months down the road. He hadn't, didn't know I lived there. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. Because you're always away at a race meeting. Because I was all what no, because no? I always left before he got out, got up, and was oh, home after he'd gone yeah, to bed. Yeah, yeah. Like the hours are just ridiculous, you know. Yeah. But we did win Bathurst, and that's you want to win Bathurst. That's what it cost you. Yeah, it's yeah. a true passion. It's yeah. the same as it's very the industry is similar to creative. It's blood, sweat, and tears. Exactly. You work like we were up. I was up to midnight last night editing. I think Dan when he got into this with because he loves his podcast, but I think he realized with creative quite quickly he's like no one wants to pay you, and the hours are ridiculous. I said because you yep. love it, this is why you still exactly. get up every day and do it. It's, yeah. it's but and most entertainment industries are driven the same way, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's just the way it is. Like. Like, yeah, your advice is if, if you want to do it bad, then fine. But be yeah, sure you want it. to do it bad because it's going to use all of you. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good advice for people like, to know. Like you know, people said to me, you're in it for a long time. Do you miss it? And I'm like, I miss the people. Mm-hmm. I miss the competition. But as I said originally, I'm too old for that shit. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. And my wife was doing it. She was doing the catering at Brad's and she's not mm-hmm. she's two years younger than me. Yep. Like it's hard work. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, it's not an overstaffing problem, trust me. Yeah. yeah. It's flat out. Like a, a typical race meeting, right, you get out of bed at half past four Wednesday morning at Brad's, right, go to the workshop, dump your car, we get some little buses, we'll go to the airport, you know, they do a bit of a shuttle, get on the aeroplane, go where you're going. In my case, because Lindy did the catering, I helped set up the catering first job, right, because she's got to make lunch, mm. right? So then she's got to do a bit of shopping, make lunch. Then I go and do the engineering trailer, a few other things. Yeah, and that pretty much sees Wednesday out, but it's a pretty long day by the time you get all that done. Mm. Right? So then the next day you you know the normal routine. You're doing the engineering stuff. You're doing the track walk and the yeah meetings and the pre-brief and the debriefs and all that rubbish. And then, yeah, and the first time you actually stop is Sunday night when you get the airport. It's like <laughs> you've had enough, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's like you and it's pretty full on. Like and everybody in the industry is doing it. Not, yeah. I'm not the only one. Like no, yeah. everybody that works in it's working that hard. They're, they're flat out, you know. That's definitely what you see around the track. Yeah. 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 It's, it's the same for everybody. Like mm. that Bathurst I just did was a relatively walk in the park for me. Like, I've, you know, I've never been through one where, I've, like I said, if it wasn't cloudy, we'd actually go home in daylight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it's just unheard of. Like yeah. quite yeah. often you go all night. Yeah. You know? Yeah, right. It's just. Just what it is. It's it's the nature of the game, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, it, do I regret doing it? No. Yeah. Like, I without even doing it deliberately, I've lived through probably the best era of motor racing we've ever seen and not even known it. I've seen Jim Clark drive. I've seen Jochen Rint drive. Mm. Yeah. I've seen Kevin Bartlett when he was at his peak. Yeah. You know, I've, you know, I've seen a lot of motor racing over a long period. Yeah. You know, I've been to Bathurst as a spectator when they were Monaros and GT Cortinas and working from – about when I actually drove an escort there a couple of times. Yeah. In the early eighties. Mm. Like, you know, I'd been you know, I've done driving, they're not an outright cars necessarily, but I've actually had the opportunity to drive in the race and get involved in it. Yeah. When it was very early on and obviously I've been involved in it full yeah. on since about nineteen eighty seven or something every time. Yeah, right. Well, Thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. Mm. <laughs> I definitely want to get you on other on other times. Um but yeah, it's been amazing learning and listening from you. I mean, today. we haven't even talked about any Formula Ford stuff like this. Oh, uh, uh, we talked a bit. We talked a bit about plenty Formula of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, like when I've, I've been doing a bit of scrutineering for the historic people, you know. Yeah. And obviously the Group A blokes are like, no, no, we bring him over here because that's people associate me with touring cars. Yeah. Because I was doing touring cars for so long that Frank Adamson keeps saying, oh, no, you won't get him because his heart's in Formula Ford, which it is. Mm. Formula Ford, I thought, was a thing for the time and it was really good for the time. Like it was 
when we were doing it, you could actually build your own car in a shed at Greenacre and go and win a race. Mm. Like you couldn't do that now. Now it's 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 gone past that. Now you've got people at very professional shows running cars for people. Yeah. So you need to bring a big bag of gold, which is that better or worse? I think it's worse, but mm. that'll be a biased opinion from the angle I came from. Yeah. Right? But I would have very much liked my son to learn all the things I learned mm. to build, their own, build his own car, to sit there with a – a piece of chalk and a string on the floor and work out where to put the roll centres, mm. you know. Okay, you want to put them wherever you like, where are you going to put them? Mm. Okay, where's the radio you're going to go, you know, all that, that stuff, you know, what pedal ratio you want, pick your master cylinder size. Look, you make yeah. it, think about every single aspect of that, the motor car when you're making it. Because so, it, but did you and did you and Rob give any advice to Tim building that spirit the way it is now, though? Because when he was racing it and winning in it, did 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 a bit of that engineering come into it, or did Timmy just leave I, it? As- I had very little input into the car. Okay, but to what be about Rob? Rob though, did Rob and Rob Dave? Probably, Rob probably had a. He was a good test driver. Yeah, okay. He was. He Rob's really fast. He's well. Mm. He's quick, but it, and it's not happening too quick for him. You know what I mean? If you give him a bit of a hit of the bat, mm. you know, getting back into the groove, it's not happening too fast. He can put quite a bit of his mind aside to work out what's going on and why, mm. and what influence he's having on it. Like, he, and that's what you need. You need that information. Yeah, like you need to filter sort it out before you have like you 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 got Blake's trying to filter it. Mm. It's a whole lot easier if the, the filter's not don't have to filter it. Comes out straight out the gate, you know. Yeah. So he's pretty really good at that, but he's obviously very good at the job he does because he's got a, another promotion recently. Yeah. He's just spent six or seven weeks in the UK on a project. Yeah. In the Portsmouth Naval Yard over there. Yeah. Right. Then he went riding a push bike around for a couple of weeks with a few of his. He loves his cycling though, doesn't he now? Oh, yeah. He's, he must have a few professional bike rider mates in Belgium because he was riding in Belgium for a week. Mm. Then he went and caught up with CB Squared and rode around the Swiss Alps for a week. Yeah. But, yeah, he's he's competitive type of guy. Mm. And he's like, for a bloke who used to drink a can of cake every five minutes, mm. like I don't think you'd recognise one if you saw one now. <laughs> like when you see him on a mission to, to win a race, yeah. he yeah. weighs everything that goes in his gob, everything. Mm. Like he is really fed income about everything, like – yeah, mm. that's doesn't like it's, it's the athlete in him. Yeah, you've still got that competitive nature. Yeah, if you mm. want to be, if you want to win, you're going to be hundred percent. Yeah, in push bike racing, he's kind of about as far as he can go without being a professional rider. Yeah, and he's got a proper job, so he doesn't need to do that. Mm. You know, like he once said to me, he said, "Like, why are you push me so hard at school?" Yeah, and I said, "When you come to get a job, it's like going down the supermarket shelf, except it's the other way around, right? <laughs> the supermarket shelf, you get different prices." This way you've got the one price, so they're going to pick the best quality thing since the price is the same. They're going to pick the best one. So you have to stand out as the best one mm. yeah. in some form, right? That's what you have to do. Mm. So which turned out to be pretty right, you know. Like mm. his first job was a test driver at Bosch. Yep. And he was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to get the job. I'm like, <laughs> not too many people in engineering are going to have the credentials as a driver you've got. Yeah. yeah. If they want someone who can drive and analyse what the car's doing. Yep. They're going to go a long, long way to find someone else. Yeah. yeah. Because not too many people have won a state title and too many things like in Formula Fords and go karts. So, yeah. You're not going to. Did he do go karts, Rob? Yeah. Oh, didn't even didn't even think of that. He was a state title man in the J. Oh, so he wants. Oh, so he wants. You guys with karts as well, yeah. not just Formula Ford. Yeah. Oh, I was just thought because you were so busy with the, your car stuff that no. you didn't. No, we did karts first. I mean, he dragged me into it kicking and scratching, but, I, you know. In the end of so you want to do it, you got to work on it. Yeah, you have to physically do this, not me. Yeah, I do this every damn day for a living. I don't need to do it on the weekend. Yeah, and you just did you make him work on the go karts to get 
used to, if you want to go anywhere, like that that working. I didn't have to force him. Okay. He so he already had the drive. He, he understands. He, he wanted to do it pretty bad and he understood. I mean, he's lived motor racing all his life. Like mm. he, he was born, I was doing it. Yep. Like dad went off to work. That's what he did. Like, uh, you know, I, I get people looking for photographs and stuff. I've got very, very, very few photographs of anything I've done, mm. especially fabrication work or anything, you know, because yeah, it's a job. Yeah. It's like even motor racing photographs. I don't have very many yeah. at all. Like, well, before this podcast, you literally just showed me 30 photos in your whole you – know that'd, that'd be nearly all of them. That's what I meant. You I know mean, what I mean? Recently I had to do a talk at a car club. Yeah. One of the guys at Brad's asked me to do a talk at the local car club, Benalla, right? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that, but – then I had to go and talk to another guy, Peter Harker, who worked with me at HRT because he was a bit of a photograph taker, right? Yep. Because um, I got very few. Mm-hmm. So he sent me a crap load of them so I could just run them on a screen like a slideshow. Yeah. And say, you know, like, what do you want to talk about? Here's a shitload of things of what I've done. Yeah. Pick, but yeah. Kind of what you do with me in a way. Yeah. <laughs> you kind I've, of went, here's, here's, here's some stuff I've done. We can go yeah. work around this. Yeah. Think about what you want to talk about because yeah. – like Linny said, what's he going to talk about? I said, well, if you're going to talk about May to Z, Christ, I'll be here for a fortnight. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's just so much, you yeah. know, until you're forced to think about it. That's true, yeah. You don't think about it, do you? You know, no. like, well, I didn't even – well, Rob, the thing is I talked to your son and that, but he didn't even really mention the cut. You know what I mean? I've just known him through Timmy and Angela. But, again, for him, so he wouldn't oh, – he, he did it with a BMX bike too. Yeah, right. Oh, so he's won state title in BMX <laughs> yeah. and go-karts yeah. and Formula Ford. Yeah. Oh, right. See, but the thing is he's so closed off with that. You know what I mean? Oh, he's not he, closed off. It's just he, because I haven't really spoken to him Keep in mind he lives with it every yeah. day. He doesn't see it as a big deal. Yeah. You know, it's not to him. It's not a big thing because. Yeah. That's it. In some athletes, you look at it and you go, well, I wasn't world champion. So mm. then you don't yeah. talk about it as I, much. I but then you, until you look back on yeah. it, then you go, that was a big deal what I did back then. Yeah. He's not. I don't think he's. He's not unhappy with his yeah. progress or anything. He just moves to the next thing. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's like me. I, I don't have photographs. I don't Until mm. I'm forced to go back and dig stuff out, I don't look back, you know. Yeah. Like Steve Normoyle's the editor of that muscle car magazine. Yep. And Steve and I go back years before I went to HRT sort of thing, you know. Mm. So he comes to me for source of articles he's doing and he's doing one on the beginnings of V8 supercars, which I'm pretty intricately connected with. Mm. And he said, you know, have you got anything from then? I'm like, mm, you have to get older, Ronald, yeah. with photographs, you know. I've got a bit of video footage. That's all I've got. Mm. Um, but I've got no photographs. But I do have my diaries. Mm. So I'll dig through them. So now he's got photographs of a 100 diary pages, I suppose. Yeah. To, with dates on them so you'll get an idea of the sequence of when it happened and why. Mm. But it's not, you know, when I write a diary, I don't write a diary. It's not like a short story, it's only a reminder for something I've got to do. Mm. You know, it's not – or something that happened. It's not like, oh, we went to the racetrack and this happened and then started a lap time and then it's not that. Yeah. It's like, you know, meeting with Peter Gilders at Ford and Holden, mm. you know, talk about this, you know. That's all it says. It doesn't say what happened at the meeting or any of that jam because that meeting generates its own paperwork. You don't need to rewrite it. Yeah. Mm. But because when I left HR2, I didn't take that with me, but I blame the diary, so that's why I've got that half. Mm. But all that other stuff would have been there at some point. It's probably thrown out because nobody wants to know about it. Mm. But yeah. I've got a, a short bit of video footage that survived that I've carried around with all my shifting mm. that shows a bit of a wind tunnel test of the first wing I made mm. at a wind tunnel test down the southeastern freeway with a video camera. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of the first wing I made for the first V8 supercar. Yeah. Right? 
And then if the very first test date, Phillip Island with this wing on a VN yep. Group A car. Yeah. And with another front splitter to try it, you know, mm. before we sent the stuff over the wind tunnel and that sort of jam. Yeah, right. So then that, that and I dangled that. I showed, um, uh, what's his name? Aaron Noonan, a bit of that. Yeah. So we haven't got one of these noons. He's like, wow. <laughs> well, yeah, it's pretty rare, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sweet. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. Anyway, yeah, no problem. No, it's been, been a great chat. Thank you. Learn anything? I learned a lot. We learned both of, a lot. Yeah, yes. both <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of On the Couch with Hooli. Make sure to subscribe to our show so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. And to help us grow, please leave a rating or review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. For extra content, check out our YouTube and social channels. You can find all the links in the show notes. See you next week.